I think it was called an engrammatic entangler, but uh, I might be wrong. <laughs> Hi folks, just a quick little word of warning here from Tony. Um, when we recorded this episode the first time, unfortunately the software we use had gone through a bit of an update and it had rejigged some of the recording settings. So we didn't quite catch it at first, but um, basically my recording was done with a microphone, which was not my first choice. And as such, the audio quality is not quite what it normally is. So apologies for that. Um, hopefully you can still enjoy it and uh, it's, Still a good episode. Welcome to episode 49 of the Narrative Wargamer podcast. A non-competitive 40k podcast with a focus on fun and narrative gameplay, as well as hobby news and our latest hobby projects. I am Tony Rhodes, and tonight I'm joined by Jonathan Sharpie. Good evening. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And it's uh, this is your first time on the show tonight, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, long time listener, first time co-host. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, throw me in on my own with you. Uh, in at the deep end. I'm sure you'll do fine. <laughs> um, but as always, before we get started, you can find us at Narrative Wargamer on Facebook, or you can follow us on Instagram at Narrative Wargamer. You can also contact us via email at narrativewargamer at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you'd like to join us on a future episode. If you want to support the show and help us grow, you can do so by joining our Patreon from only $2 a month. As a supporter, you can listen to our bonus episodes on Patreon, and gain access to our patrons-only group chat. The support from our patrons helps us produce the show and goes towards awesome new content for you guys in the future. Finally, if you want to support the show for free, you can do by visiting the awesome folks over at Element Games for all your hobby supplies and gaming miniatures. Just use our affiliate link below to visit their web store, and that way any purchases you make will help or directly help support the podcast. Links for everything are in the description below, so please check them out and get involved with the growing community. So yes, uh, welcome Sharpie, welcome to the show proper. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, like I say, it's uh, it's funny that you've uh, you've been listening to a show for a while now. Um, I believe you even attended the Crucible of War earlier this year. I, I did indeed attend the Crucible of War, and uh, can I suggest that everybody uh, thinks about going in October? It was uh, it was an awesome day. Um, in some respects, I feel like I've been on this podcast a number of times because I think uh, uh, several of my opponents on the day you've had in to talk about the Crucible of War, and they've obviously talked about some of the games that I had. Yeah, um, it's it it's been a fun time. I think having all these interviews and sort of piecing together the experiences people have had. Like you say, it's funny how even though we haven't had a Tales from the Crucible with you personally yet. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's funny how I think have, have we heard of, of all of your games from opponents, or is it two or three? My first two games, but um, I played uh, Jill's Blood Angels for the third game, and I don't think you've spoken to Jill, uh, but she was an awesome opponent. Um, I hope uh, she comes again. 
yeah, um, I'm sure. I, th I think hopefully she is, she is, if I remember correctly. But um, yeah, uh, we've definitely got a number of uh, return uh, players who are coming back in October. Um, good, good. <laughs> so yeah, there's uh, uh, there will be um, another Tales from the Crucible later on in this episode. So uh, again, lots of fun stories to be had from the people that attended on the, the day the first time around. So hopefully if you if you do like the sound of it or if it's the first time you've listened to the show and it's the first time hearing about the crucible before and uh if it sounds interesting and exciting and uh has been endorsed by sharpie himself then go check it out so links and uh event details are in the description below so you can go uh see the event park you can go pick up tickets and uh yeah if you're interested we'll, we'll see you in october yep good it's just uh it's just a nice day out and the game's it's it's 40k but it's it's different 40k so so if you're getting a bit fed up with with some of the 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 games being a bit samey because you play match play then um stick it out come and have a go at, at these games because they provide a completely different experience <laughs> yeah it's pretty much the, the whole aim really I've, I've said it many a times now but the crucible of war really has been like the accumulation of everything that we talk about on the podcast and kind of is the proof of concept of um you know the way that we like to play the game all brought together for you know a collective day of gaming experiences that is kind of unlike anything else that you've probably ever played in oh <laughs> so, absolutely yeah and uh, it's fair to say i've been adding to my catalog of environments and missions and so uh, on so ways to kill our uh hard uh, fought and um long time painted miniatures that we love and cherish only to have them uh swept off the board by by a breaking dam uh, in turn two never to see them again <laughs> but well, they will always be remembered absolutely absolutely um awesome well Funnily uh, enough, then, you've obviously been um, a long time listener of the show and an even longer time player of Warhammer, as far as I'm aware. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself then and your sort of history and background in the hobby? Uh, yeah, so um, like, like many people, um, I started playing um, Games Workshop games in my teenage years, which um, significantly further away than I would like these days. Um, <laughs> I I didn't play 40k. Um, I did. My my parents did buy me the second edition box, um, um, just as I was perhaps um, getting out of the hobby. You know, finding um, other things like uh, beer and and other distractions. But my, I, I played um, I played Epic a lot, um, and I played Blood Bowl a lot um, uh, during my teenage years. Blood Bowl especially, um, and I suspect that's probably one of the reasons why. I like Crusade so much because me and a number of my friends uh, played in the little Blood Bowl League, and you know you get you play that game, your team gets better, um, you you see the things changing over over a short period of time. So yeah, so really really into into Blood Bowl, but not so much 40k. Um, then then I, I left home and um, you know I grew up and became a big boy and got a job um, and um, got a bit of money. Um, and I started to think, oh, I wonder, I wonder what 40k looks like these days. Um, and I, I logged on and I saw a few of the YouTubers 
people like Striking Scorpion and Tabletop Tactics. And uh, it wasn't the game that drew me in, it was the, the, the lovely sort of boards that they put together and the well-painted miniatures and the whole cinematic feel of the game that, that drew me back in again. Um, and so um, I promptly went out and picked up some miniatures from my first love, which is Craft Worlds. And, and from then on, I've been well and truly hooked. <laughs> and I've got Craft Worlds, Space Wolves, Necrons, Chaos Space Marines, uh, and the Demon's Army as well. So A little bit of everything. Yes. Uh, by any chance, do you have any of your original teenage years craft builders who are still in service today as i know unfortunately unfortunately not not i remember when i went to university i put all my my games workshop possessions uh lovingly away in the cupboard in my bedroom and then i think my mum decided to decorate the bedroom and didn't really see any value in in it <laughs> and uh, i mean i'd like to say that she gave them to somebody and they went to a went to a lovely home but i get the feeling they probably went in the bin which which to this day it sort of pulls at the soul a little bit doesn't it <laughs> the doom of many a craft world yes absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah so so yeah so i'm i've been back in the in the hobby i suspect probably about five or six years now um that's, that's what i was going to ask uh, yeah. yeah so so was it sort of around seventh edition when you sort of got back into it then yeah so so i i i got this i got the seventh edition rule book i i mean i'll be honest i you know i bought i bought the rule book and i've got i've got two two sons and um i was being i thought quite selfishly they would want to to play with me um so i agreed um i think to to buy them armies as well and we we built things together my eldest son had bought the space wolves and my youngest son wanted some orcs um, and then I bought the seventh edition rule book, and I'm not being funny, but um, it was hard work trying to understand the rules. And, and at that point, I thought well, it's probably probably not going to work out here because I'm struggling with all these rules in one place. But then when eighth edition came out, and it must have just come out about six months after I started looking into the hobby again, and the eighth edition rules were just well, they were a breeze, weren't they, compared to seventh edition? And I think I think I was able to teach my eldest son the game in in one afternoon. So, so yeah, we were we were in and we were hooked. And now they're teenagers and they've lost interest. But you know, I've got plenty <laughs> of people to play with now. Well, just wait till they're uh, you know uh, young uh, young not so, not young adults. That's what they kind of are as such. But yeah. just, just wait till they're a, a little bit older and they come back as just as you did. Then yeah, uh, well, you might find all that. Yeah. they that, they do. They, they do make me laugh because they say they're not interested. Um, hence why I've I've um, inherited some space wolves from my eldest. But a lot of the time when people come and play, um, they will nip into the garage while we're playing and see what's going on. And and so so I don't think they're completely out, but uh, I think uh, they're just playing it a bit cool at the minute by uh, by uh, not necessarily saying that they're big fans. Yeah, they are. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um... So, out of interest, then, um, how did you come by the Narrative Wargamer podcast? How did you sort of find um, that? So, um, I've I've been part of uh, the the Deployment Zone community for a while, and um, uh, through through that community, I got to meet Dan Dan Wellington, um, and 
he came and played a game with me once and he told me that he was involved in a podcast and I was like well you know that sounds like it's right up my alley and um, I listened to it and I've listened to everyone since then uh, and it really is it, it, some days it can be quite depressing uh, driving to work but you uh, you cheer me up immensely in the morning because uh, <laughs> because I get to listen to, to your, your show on the way um, to work and on the way home and it just makes the journey that a little bit more exciting oh, that's lovely to hear I'm, I'm, I'm glad you you obviously enjoyed it yes yeah the work in between is rubbish but driving <laughs> to and coming home from work yeah I've got that nailed now <laughs> <laughs> awesome cool um, so yeah I, I, I suppose what was it about um, the show in particular that obviously drew you in and the things that you do like about it yeah, I mean, I think I think it's because it felt different to to everything else that, that that's out there. If if you're interested in 40k and and it's great that it's become so much more mainstream than it was um, back when I was a teenager. But ultimately, if you pick um, ten podcasts on 40k, nine of them are probably going to be very similar. They're going to talk about match play, competitive. They might go through stratagems whereas your podcast felt totally different it felt it sort of harkened back to what dragged me back in it it wasn't 40k itself it was the cinematics of seeing a great table with nice terrain uh, and a theme to the to the the battle and well-painted miniatures and um, the whole cinema of the of the of the game rather than just you know two people trying to beat one another and that came across to me in your podcast in that you know everybody felt it feels like when two people get together in this community um they want the other person to have a really good time um and they want the game to feel different um and not sort of your your standard sort of way of playing that you see everywhere else and that really comes across when you listen to you and and i, I also like uh, the fact that you know you know you've got a nice cast of uh, regulars and you know it, it's funny it's not serious um you know so it, it it just harkens to the sort of things that appeal to me yeah we do have a, a fair bit of fun with the uh, the fun facts episodes Abs- of the absolutely <laughs> absolutely there are times there are times where i can only imagine what it must have been like when you recorded it because there are times when i felt like i needed to go to the toilet on the way home i've been laughing myself that, that hard uh, over things that have been said and, and sometimes it's not even been that funny it's just been the reaction um and having met some of the people that that's involved um i know that you know it, i can see that it's a good time and it's a community that's that's growing and, and doing really well and the right people are there yeah, and let's um, say having you on tonight and so on is, I think, just proof of that. So, yeah, thank you very much for your kind words there. I'm glad that. Uh, I doubt, yeah, absolutely welcome. Thank you for, for having me. <laughs> um, but, yeah, one of the reasons why we have got you on tonight is because uh, you you are sort of our, our resident Necron player, and tonight is going to be all about Necrons on Crusade. Since yes. they've had a, a little bit of an injection of uh, unlife, as it were, to their. <laughs> Crusaders yes. recently, yeah. so yes, they're very different to to what they were at the start of ninth edition, aren't they? In in yeah. many ways, not just in uh, in crusade ways. <laughs> yeah, they have. They're probably one of the most evolved armies in terms of uh, where they started the edition, where they currently are. Absolutely, there's there's lots of addendums, isn't there? Lots of extra uh, 
documents that you need if you're going to play them properly now. <laughs> it's almost like there's a cascading chain of subroutines now required. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Those protocols are going through the roof at the minute, aren't they? <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Um, so, yeah, like I say, that's going to be our, our spotlight uh, topic a little later in the episode. So, uh, yeah, if you're excited for Necrons or Crusade, then uh, this is the episode for you. So, um, we will jump across now then, I think, to Paint Station Garrison, where we'll see what it is that we've actually been up to in hobby projects recently. So, uh, yeah, we'll be back in a second, guys. And we're back, guys. So, as it's uh, Sharpie's first time on the show, I think it's only fair that he tells us all about his Paint Station Garrison first. So, uh, you haven't been working on anything since a previous appearance, so tell us what you're working on now, and then we'll hold you accountable for it next time. Right, okay, Thank, thanks very much. Um, yeah, uh, ironically, I haven't been doing any Necrons. Um, uh, uh, I, um, I took part in uh, the Deployment Zone Hobby Apocalypse uh, for the first six months of this year, uh, where I added um, some Space Wolves, uh, 250 points of Space Wolves every month for six months. Uh, so um, I just was finishing. I've just um, been finishing off a couple of units that I'd only partially painted to, to get to my 250 points. I've got some assault intercessors uh, literally in front of me, um, base coated and um, partly washed um, that need doing. But um, because I did nothing, pretty much nothing but space walls for the first six months of the, of the year, I've been sort of uh, hobby butterflying around a little bit. So if I if I look to my right, I can see I've got. Um, a unit of Chosen that have been primed. Uh, I've got a Forge Fiend uh, staring at me. That's that's one of those models that that uh, is a little bit intimidating to start off with. I remember when I painted my Mauler Fiend, uh, it took a while for me to, to pluck up the courage to get going. So, But I've got a Forge Fiend. Uh, I've, I've also got some um, Craftworld Shroud Runners that have got a small amount of paint on that, that I put down because I was doing something else. So yeah, I've got lots and lots of things that uh, that uh, I'm partially completed um, that I'm working on. I've also just finished um, after a year painting some beast snaggers. I got the beast snagger box last summer when it came out, uh, and I've just finished finished up painting them um, for for that army as well. So so yeah, I've been jumping around a, a lot of the minute, just you know keeping things. Um, new and um, and fresh so that I don't feel like it's a grind. Yeah, um, what, I would just, what, um, what's it like, Chaos Faction, is it, is it, um, is it your homebrew one, if I remember correctly? Yeah, so, so, um, I, I run a, uh, well, my, um, my Chaos Space Marines I call the Heralds of Torment, um, so yeah, so they're all in that, that kind of corn red scheme with, with brass, um, they're gonna look gonna look like that once I once I get tucked into them. Got to get these space walls finished first, though. Um, rather than jumping around anymore, uh, I want the the unit to be finished. And um, I, I I forget whether or not um I've, I've, it, you mentioned it before if I've caught up in conversation with you yeah or not. But um, are, are you actually coming to Crucible of War two? I I am hopefully coming to Crucible of War two. Um, I. I keep telling my wife that that weekend is unavailable for for other <laughs> social uh, uh, events. Um, hopefully, she won't book it into the diary. Um, I, I need to pick up my ticket, but it's payday on Friday, so I will probably pick it up on Friday. 
And I think uh, this time I'm going to bring Craftworld. Yeah, so, so that was going to be like my next question was, mm. um, so you're coming to Crucible of War 2 later this year, and yep. what was it you to bring with you to that? So, so I'm hoping to to bring um, a, my craft world, but it's going to be like um, all the different aspect warriors. So I'm going to go kind of thematic aspect warriors, trying to bring um, every single uh, at least five models of each of them. I need to pick up some sh shining spears. Um, that's the only thing that I haven't got. I'm going to bring an avatar down with me. Um, oh, nice. It's going to be like a, a proper not the young king. Yeah, se <laughs> second edition. Uh, the the army that I probably would have wanted to play when I was fifteen, uh, that that I didn't ever get around to to, to buying and having in full, uh, that I've got now, um, I, I get to look at it on the table and re be reminded of the horrors of all the fine cast that <laughs> I've had to deal with over the years to to paint them. Um, but yeah, I I think I think that's what I'm gonna gonna bring this time, just to bring something a bit different. Um, it's it's nice and fluffy but it's not particularly <laughs> competitive but um i think it'll look nice on the table um and it'll be a oh, bit different and, and i don't think anybody brought craft worlds to first crucible of war if i remember correctly uh if i remember clearly i don't think eldari were represented at all no i don't, I don't think there was Rakari, harlequins or craft worlds no, um, I mean, funnily enough, this, it was at the time uh, just a little bit pre their Ninth yes. Ed Codex release, yeah. so that's probably why, and we probably yeah. get a lot more this time around. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's that's what I'm planning to bring. But um, you know, I I, I, don't, I don't mind if um, <laughs> swapping things around if things if you've got too many Xenos. You, no, you bring no problem at all. I, I can make anything work. Good. Uh, I was just curious if uh, if you had any units or anything you need to be painting up for it. Uh, no, so I've got everything other than some shining spears. So I'm hoping to pick some shining spears up um, this month and and get them painted up. I've I've completely stayed away from shining spears. They didn't they didn't exist when when <laughs> back in second edition when I was collecting last time and I, and the the, the fine cast models. Um, I, I mean, there's a limit, isn't there? I mean, I thought they were pretty horrible looking. Um, so I just, you know, I didn't have any kind of thought to, that I would want them or need them. But now that the new models are out and they look significantly better, I'm going to add, I'm going to add a small unit of them to the to the army. Nice. Bring three, bring bring three along in October. Uh, so out of interest, what's your like? color scheme for your craft world so my, my craft world is mainly grey um, but it has um, orange for it's, not, um, not grey as in unpainted no <laughs> uh, no, no, um, no it's um, uh, uniform grey the army painter uh, colour um, as, the, as the main base and then it, yeah it's orange um, and then there's flashes of like burgundy on things like cloaks and, and things like that it's quite striking, if I don't say so myself. <laughs> Almost like a scorpion. Yes, yes, absolutely. But my favourite of the Aspect Warriors, funnily enough. I think mean, um, they're often the favourite of most people. I think they're a real yeah. favourite. Yeah, definitely better now than they, than they were in 8th edition. They're always yeah. a bit rubbish in 8th, but I still brought them to most games. So, um, Out of interest, do you paint your Aspect Warriors 
to be in a similar color scheme to their craft world or do you use them as the opportunity to sort of break from the scheme so so what what i do is i i tend to paint them in their traditional colors but i but i have flashes of gray and orange incorporated into the into the paint scheme so my dire avengers have gray and orange on their on their i don't know what they call the helmet brushes things that they're on <laughs> the helmets yeah, and uh, the the striking scorpions have gray and orange on their hair braids um and i'm trying to think basically um the, you'll see flashes of gray and orange across the the whole army but the traditional colors the kind of butt wraith bone sort of color for howling banshees and the green for striking scorpions and the black for dark reapers so it looks traditional but it it incorporates my army into it as well nice i i, I think I think Craft Old Elder is an army I would love to get around to doing just the painting more than anything. Yeah, I, I think you can you can um, you could do a lot with it to make it a very striking looking army. Um, you, it can be completely cohesive by the same colour, but but like I say, you can absolutely throw lots of colours out there, and it still looks right. And perhaps in a way that you wouldn't kind of get away with with other armies as well. Um, so so yeah. I've really enjoyed painting them uh, since I came back. Um, really, sort of lit up uh, my 15-year-old self. It only mm -hmm. took me 20 years to get to the point where uh, I could uh, paint them to the standard I wanted to. Well, funnily enough, in terms of getting things painted for um, Crucible of War, that's actually what I'm doing right now. Although it's not for an army of my own, but it's for this commission. Oh, All right. <laughs> but, um, I have been commissioned to paint um, these Blood Angels ready for an attendee to come to the event. So I'm probably oh. going to be rocking up on the day with their army for them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, I'm currently working on some Blood Angels, 4th Company Tactical Marines. Um, oh, Tactical Marines. Yeah, this is a, a mix of Firstborn and Primaris um, Good. in the list. Um, but yeah, these are the first bomb tacticals, and uh, yeah, it's the first time I've ever painted any Blood Angels. Um, and I have to say, there are lots in Blood and Lamenters. <laughs> yes, yeah, I can only imagine what the shoulder, uh, the, the shoulder pauldrons were like for the uh, Lamenters. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I really enjoyed the Lamentus project. Funnily enough, they're one of the, I've said it before, they're one of the spacing chapters I always fancy painting. And I kind of like the fact that I can say now that, you know, I've painted some Lamentus. <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's just having. It's definitely uh, an achievement. Yeah. Just having a, a single base coat red with like one pass of a, a contrast. Uh, paint is so much nicer than the many layers of yellow. Yes. And uh, just having a bare shoulder pad with a single transfer on it is so much nicer than doing <laughs> checkered patterns of circles with roundel edges and heart shapes and teardrops <laughs> all by hand. <laughs> yes. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm kind of like flying through them um, in terms of hours spent on them versus the hours on the Lamenters. Um, but it's nice, like, I've, it's funny how I've never ever settled on a single Space Marine chapter myself. I've never really owned a Space Marine army, so, mm -hmm. and I haven't really properly painted any Space Marines before I started doing commission pieces with people. Um, and I think so far Blood Angels have been proving my favourite one 
scheme wise right at least in terms of it looks nice but it's also simple it's not labor intensive but i actually like the outcome has it mainly been just red or have you done some of the other color units like the black or the gold ones I've not done any of the black or gold ones yet. I've just done the red ones. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when it gets around to doing the others. I mean, I have painted some Death Company armor, but those were armor plates on my Death Skull War Boss. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, because he, he has the looted armor uh, where it's yeah. all made up of different Space Marine uh, chapters. But because he's a Death Skull um, and therefore he basically wears primarily blue with some bits of black armor because black is you know the biggest and the toughest and he's the war boss yeah um it meant that all his uh mega armor was built out of purely blue or black space ring chapter armor so i had to get creative in order to um, expand on the number of chapters so he's got some death company armor on there he's got some raven wing armor nice but, um, one very unfortunate uh, big armor panel from a crimson fist <laughs> over his shoulder though <laughs> Ah, well, the Crimson Fists and Orcs, they don't get on very well, do they? Well, the Orcs get on with them well. <laughs> <laughs> they, they enjoy the nature of their relationship. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm currently working on these Blood Angels. Uh, I recently finished up, uh, literally like the other day, I finished up the Skaven Blood Bowl team that I was working on. Oh, right. Still got the um, couple of like team icons and stuff, things like the markers, like the coin flip and the balls. and Right. Um, markers and stuff to do but the actual players are all done now again compared to the previous blood bowl team which was the dwarves in orange which took a long time to get the orange layered up um on their armor the skaven had been so much quicker by comparison okay you know rags and flesh are easier to paint than the gold trim and bright orange armor plates yeah. <laughs> um so yeah they're, they're done as well now uh, and then other than that, uh, my only other sort of work in progress project is I, I picked up my Necromunda Chaos Cult gang again because uh, I'm trying to get them ready for Sumpcon in October. Right. Which uh, which gang have you have you got? Uh, the Chaos Cult gang. Right. Yes. So it's the, it's just the actual like Chaos Cultists. Yes. Right. As opposed to one of the house gangs. So I've yeah. got an Escher gang. Like they are my main Decamunda right. gang. Um, I've got about 20 of them painted up in very flamboyant and bright colours because they're house Escher. Yeah, as they should be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the sort of second gang that I've had as a project for a while now is this Chaos gang. Because since they released the Book of Judgment, probably about over a year ago now, um, they basically expanded the tool set in there in like the black market for really fun things that you could do with Chaos Gangs. Basically lots of like cursed objects and, you know, semi-demonic war gear and so on. Um, that just really expanded what you could do with a Chaos Gang. So I was like, I'm going to do that because it sounds really fun. Yeah. Um, and the format of the event being, you know, like a two-day event, you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from more of a established position, which means I can just bring some of the fun toys you know, yeah. from day one. So it seems like a great opportunity to really have a fun time with the Chaos Gang. Because um, they're a bit of a slow grow gang. They don't have access to a lot of cool or overly useful stuff to begin with. But once you get, you know, your cursed items and your illegal war gear and 
your blessings from the gods and stuff, then they really come into their own and do some really funky stuff. Right. Like they bring. They take a bit of warming up then. Yes, because to begin with, you're basically just like rabble with auto guns. You know, like you don't really have anything going for you. But once you've got things like your chaos spawns or your warp horrors or your witch powers, mm. then once you've picked up things like your gore drinker axes and your tenebrae scourges and hex iron blades and like I say, all the sort of fun chaos weapons that exist in the black market, um, then they get really fun. So cool. yeah, I'm basically working on half of that gang. So half of it painted. I've basically got like the regular Joes with the auto guns, um, the Chaos Familiars, and the Witch done. Um, but I need to do basically like the gang leader and the champions, and then the um, like the Chaos Horror itself. Right. Uh, Chaos Spawn, affectionately known as Twin More. <laughs> affectionately. Yeah, affectionately. He's like the, he's like the gang mascot, the big, horrible, gigantic, brutish chaos form. We love him, really. <laughs> yes, everybody should have a mascot. <laughs> and if he's got four arms and tentacles and two maws and the ability to crush your <laughs> your enemies before you, then all the better. Yes. Yeah. I mean, multi-use. <laughs> So yeah, that's me. Like, hopefully, I can get through these Blood Angels in good time, and then I can get my uh, my little servants of chaos ready to go. Good. Yeah, October seems a long way away, but um, it's not. Yeah, you, you, you've only got to have a couple of slack weekends, haven't you? And then you feel like you're up against it a bit. So yeah, I'm uh, hopefully trying to get ahead of that hump and uh, don't feel too pressured, especially when I'm running one of the two events. <laughs> yes. So I've <laughs> also got all that to do as well. <laughs> But yeah, speaking of which, uh, I think that's a good place for us now to uh, move on and uh, let's hear from someone who was actually there recently. So uh, we'll jump over now to our latest Tales from the Crucible. Awesome. You kids listen up now and listen good. The boss has got a message for you all. It looks like some of the boys have been joining the war before they got themselves a proper pen job. How are you kids supposed to get any proper crumping done without a lucky blue chopper or dead flashy shooter, eh? The boss is going to be breaking heads if he captures any of you without a proper paint job. So get your ugly hides to the paint boy over at Narrative War Painter. He'll fix you up good and proper, you hear me? Narrative War Painter is now open for painting commissions. Specialising in good quality, army-wide standards, you can get a quote today by contacting me at narrativewargamer at gmail.com to discuss any potential hobby projects, and so I can help you conquer your horde of grey plastic. You can also check out examples of my work over on Instagram at narrativewargamer. What did I say? Right, you kids. Get your loot in the truck and zog off to the paint boy. It better be ready and faster when you get back. And make sure to tell them Red Tooth sent you. You might get some extra special. Yeah. 
You are about to hear of another way to play Warhammer 40,000 beyond that which is known to the ITC. A gameplay experience not only of victory points and match results, but of narrative. A tale of deadly battlefields, tactical challenges, and narrative scenarios. Welcome, dear listener, to the latest installment of Tales from the Crucible. And welcome back, guys. So, welcome to the latest in our series of the Tales from the Crucible. And for tonight, I'm joined by Mr. William Brindley. Hello. Uh, Hello, yeah, good to be here. <laughs> yep, it's, uh, it's good <laughs> to have you on. And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to have a little chat tonight about your experience at the Crucible of War, because you were one of our attendees yeah. on the day, and uh, it sounds like you had a good time. I did. I had a fantastic time. It was my first tournament experience for any tabletop game, let alone Warhammer, and I think it was a really great way to actually start my journey as you will yeah so thank you for that oh you're welcome i mean it's funny i've i've heard a few people from the event who mentioned that it was their first actual you know 40k or otherwise tournament or event or whatever you want to call it because i didn't necessarily think we'd get many first timers as it were <laughs> because the nature of the crucible um, of war is somewhat involved you know in its own ways i think it's yeah. i was surprised so many first timers but it sounds like they all had a good time yeah and I, well i'm not surprised really because everything about your event and the way it kind of sounded and was i guess marketed it it, it appealed to me as like you know you kind of hear stories about other tournaments being quite high intensity and it was it all just seemed so friendly and i can't care over like how it was just a really relaxed and enjoyable experience playing a game as a game instead of a competition you know and it was really really fun yeah I, that's, it's great to hear because i do think there's um there's a good fine line to sort of um balance with it because i do think great games often come from you know having like a good competition within it you know what i mean like friendly competition yeah but it's often yeah game to the best of your ability and have fun with it but taking the pressure off the outcome of the individual games you know having influences on the rest of your experience at the event i think probably did help make it feel more sort of relaxed overall yeah that, that's it i am um, like i think i won one of my three games that i played um and I, you know i didn't really care about the winning or losing because it was just nice having the stories be told while you're playing and seeing other people doing it as well and um, i was uh, one of my favorite things was having a peek across at the other tables as well and seeing what's going on it was awesome i mean obviously not to spoil as such the very end of uh, your part in the awards ceremony but to say like you say that you only won your games but you had a great experience playing them it's kind of evidenced by the uh, the award that you won at the end of the day. I think. I mean, I I, I was uh, I was shocked, you know, um, <laughs> because well, I, I think I don't know. You you take away what you bring to a certain extent, you know. I, I came to have a good time, and, uh, and I succeeded in my mission, and uh, yeah, people people felt the same way, so it was good. 
Yeah, so you ended up walking away at the end of the day with the uh, favourite opponent award. Yeah, because good enemies is hard to find. But I do feel like, you know, I, I wouldn't have actually been any happier with any other award, you know? Like, favourite opponent, I feel like is pretty high praise as far... Not to brag... But I'm bragging. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it, it was well deserved. So um, all three of the people that you played against on the day all voted for you as their you know favorite opponent from the day. So yeah, you obviously were giving other people a great experience as well as having a good time yourself. So um, well, yeah. yeah, just to uh, I suppose uh, bring us full circle back to the sort of start of the whole experience. Um, one, yeah. tell us a little bit about how you actually heard about the event and why it sort of appealed to you, you know, um, as well as the, you know, seemingly casual nature of the uh, the, the day. Um, so I, I can't remember where I actually saw it first. It was probably on Instagram. I pretty much do all my hobby stuff through Instagram. It's dedicated to that. And that's the only bit of social media I do now, really. It's just filled with 40K stuff. So somewhere in that stream, it would have shown up. And I think what hooked me was the big block capitals of narrative wargaming, you know, <laughs> like, like other yeah. than that narrative bit. I was like, yes, that's, that's what I'm here for. Like tell some stories and, and, and have a good time. And when I try and play games with, I've always played games with my brothers and my family. I always try and think of like a, a cool scenario, not necessarily like a, mission pack straight out of the book and this is like going from like 40k dungeons and dragons and various other kind of like gaming things i try and think of like what would be an exciting experience what would be a great kind of story to tell and uh, yeah so when i saw that like narrative wargaming event i was like yeah okay i'm in balls to the wall let's go <laughs> and um what what was your sort of impression of the event pack when you first you know I suppose got to see the details of it all. It, it was all so so from. I wasn't really sure what to expect, but when you, know, you sent the event pack out and you had, I think it was three sample missions in there, and I was like, if I just get to play any one of those, I'm happy. And and that's three of how many, you know? Um, and I thought, like, just reading through them, I was like, straight. I think I think I might have even messaged you saying like, like, can I steal these? I'm keeping these, <laughs> you know, like I, I want to play these again. Um, so I was excited right from the get go. Um, but like I said, this is also sort of my first tournament experience. So it was also good to kind of get an idea of, of the more professional aspects, which is like, you'll need to meet these kind of, uh, you'll need this many points worth of stuff. And it'll need to all be painted and it'll, you, you know, so there's kind of like some requirements which made it feel have like that little bit of like professionalism and immersion as well. Um, and so it was, it, I felt like it was a real nice kind of like towing to the pond, you know? Yeah, as I say, none of that is designed in any way to sort of, you know, be a barrier to entry or anything, but it, it really does help um, sort of really help showcase the hobby, you know, in the best it can be. And it really showed everyone on the day brought, you know, brilliant armies. Well, this is it, yeah. I, I like. I didn't feel like it was a barrier. It wasn't. A, I mean, yeah. It's a daunting prospect to think like, oh, I need one thousand five hundred points worth of painted stuff. 
and I think that is always going to be a personal obstacle for anyone who wants to try and like go to a tournament or something like this. It's just because it is a huge feat to accomplish something like that. But I agreed to, well, agreed, I paid and decided to come along before I'd even got my stuff painted and it motivated me so much. I was like, right, I'm going to get this done. I want to go, I want to show off what I've got because what's the point in having it if no one sees it? Um, and it gave me that real drive to actually get it painted, get it done and bring it to tournament and and just have the experience. And I, so I'm really grateful for that motivation. And this was actually for your orc force, wasn't it, that you brought? So you played with orcs on the day. It is, yeah. The, the Vietnam War, all my orcs uh, were loosely kind of like Vietnam War themed. I like the kind of like, well, and, and when I say loose, it is very loosely. It, they're just sort of like camo green and crazy um, and quite a few flamethrowers chucked in there. Um and uh, yeah, I tried to inject a lot of character into them. And again, it comes to kind of this, uh, you know, I, I put a lot of effort and love into each and every model and I wanted to show that off to people. Yeah, it definitely shows. Like I say, it was it was great seeing your army there on the day. Um, so uh, I, I suppose the, ne so the next question I've asked people was, what was your sort of thoughts on the venue when you actually got there for the first time and you got to see like you know, the tables in particular? Oh, the tables blew me away, man. Like, you know, because the, the way the venue is, it's kind of just tucked into the side of this building and it's a, a bit like nondescript. I was like, oh, okay, here it is. And you took it, you go through that door and then you just turn to, and you don't see it when you initially go through the doors and you look to the right and you're like, oh Lord. Is here's some gaming tables, you know. I, I just I just walked. Around. I, I mean, I don't know how long we got while we were waiting for people to show up, like. But just walking around the tables and thinking, like, I want to play on that table. I want to play on that table. I want to play on that table. And the one that I was like, yeah, I, I really hope that this is the table I get to play on. I had my first match on, and I was just like, mm, you get me, you know. <laughs> like this is it. It was the. Um, it was a kind of like an overpass that was all like ruined and broken and uh, there was some like, toxic pools underneath. It was, I loved that all the maps, maps, the tables had a lot of dimensions to them. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, a super balanced kind of like, oh, we're going to place these pieces of terrain exactly in a certain way so it's 100% fair. It was kind of like you had oh, this one might favour a, a melee-oriented arm because it's so close and confined, but it adds another tactical element. Like, the one I played was quite open, so it really favoured, like, a shooting army, but it had this really high vantage point, and there was a lot of diversity to the maps in that respect. I keep calling them maps, tables, you know, but um, the, it, I felt like the tables themselves brought another element that you had to kind of think, huh, how am I going to actually deal with this? How am I going to work with this? And, and what kind of like advantages or disadvantages or like narrative decisions would it force me to make? And it was dynamic and engaging. <laughs> Good. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that really came across. Uh, like the tables at tabletop events are just brilliant, aren't they? Like I said, the, the quality of the terrain, the 
the immersion of how beautiful it looks and how well armies you know just fit on it and like you say the different levels of dimensions uh, it, it really adds some depth to the gameplay and then in addition to that actually being able to have like gameplay mechanics tied to the environments themselves uh, yeah. so it just sort of really helps bring that to life it was really cool i really like that you like that's a question i've got for you did you so you're working at this venue are you familiar with the venue enough to know what kind of scenery that they had and oh i'm going to incorporate these design elements into my games to complement their uh, terrain <laughs> the funny thing is no i had very little actual first-hand experience before planning the first event there so i'd only been to the venue previously um once before the actual day of the event and that was to attend a necromunder event so that was all industrial okay. necromunder terrain that they had out. yeah yeah um so i got a chance to see a little bit of their general 40k terrain but i hadn't really seen much of them you know what they had on like facebook and so on so it was a real joy to sort of see it and get to you know say it all up um on the morning of um yeah. but in terms of organizing it i was just communicating with the guys that run the place so james march in particular um and basically i'd sent to them like here's the sort of list of missions i'm sort of planning to use on the day um so i had the mission and i had the theater of war i wanted to use and basically then like a theme like with it yeah. to say like if you could do this table as a forest table that'd be great if you could do yeah. this table as a lava table that would be great and basically, I sent them sort of like a list of about twenty, you know, different missions and and table themes, and they came back and said, "Yeah, we could basically do all of those apart from two. That's and fantastic. Like, like, yeah, that's and I was like, "Great!" And and to be fair, the two that they didn't happen to have supplies for were an Arctic frozen world or a Necron yeah. tomb world. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that, you know that's, that's quite specific. Yeah. So you can kind exactly. Of see. You know that's fair for that. Um, you know, for them not to necessarily have stuff on hand for that, but that's fine because they did have things like, can you do a Tyranid world? You know, like a world that's in later stages of being digested. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Can you can do? do can you do a map that is like eighty percent giant cannon? Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, oh, God. Yeah, orbital weapons platform with uh, you know a spaceship faring like anti um, space cannons. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we can do that. It was. It was. Like yeah, the tables were absolutely fantastic. I, I, it was, you know, you know, because when you were, again first time and stuff like that, you don't. I didn't really know what to expect, and I, I was like, you know, I had the nerves. I was feeling a bit, you know, trepid, and I, and you know, the second I saw it, it just floored me, and I was like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm in for a good day. Um, cool. So how then did you find actually sort of getting into your first game, you know, sort of like finding your opponent, reading the mission and, you know, sort of generally experiencing the first Crucible of War game of 40k that you had? I, yeah, so like I I, I can't remember the chap's name now. The first bloke I played, um, you know, because it's been a while now, so it's testing my memory, but uh, played um, Knights and... Uh, you know, I didn't know what he was bringing. I didn't know what he was bringing, and uh, I, you know, met him, said hi. You know, really nice to meet. You. He seemed like a really friendly chap, and then he just started bringing out these like these knight, imperial knights, and I had two thoughts. Uh, first one is, I've lost this. 
Um, you know, because uh, my army is not equipped very well for like anti-vehicle. It's one of my lacking departments. But and then the second thought was, the, this is going to be cool. And uh, and I was like, which which of those two voices should I listen to today? You know, uh, do I, and I was like, you know, this is just fun. We're just here for fun. Let's have a good time. And so, you know, he was dropping down. I was getting down to table level, looking over the heads of my boys, thinking, "Oh, we in for off time, lads," you know. And uh, it it was it was really cool, and it was a really friendly chap to play with. And uh, it it all just ran smoothly. Like I've been playing with the bloke for you know like five years, and uh, it's the first time that I met him. And it looked like that was the experience happening at every table around as well. Which it was just. The one thing I didn't expect was the the volume, how much you actually have to like project your voice because everyone's trying to talk, and and you you have to like you can hear everything that's going on on the tables and those moments of excitement on other tables come across to you and you look over going like oh what's happening there as well it was really cool. Yeah, it is surprising how much noise a room full of armor players actually makes. So it's yeah. not like any of it, like you know. Uh, particularly over the top of raucous noise it's just it's a high level of ambient noise because everyone is yeah. playing everyone's rolling dice everyone's laughing and talking and it's, it's just great but yeah um although funnily enough my favorite moments um throughout the day were those 10 to 15 minute periods at the start of each round where the room yeah. did go quiet and did go silent because everybody was reading mission details yeah like you know the mission details were pretty cool as well like because it, it's not it start it gives you that kind of the, the you know the setting and like oh this makes sense with the with the way the map's laid out and 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 i can see that and i can see how it would all fit in and then you know you, you just kind of like sinks in you clarify it with whoever you're playing with if, if there's anything that you're sort of unsure about uh and then you get start getting stuck into the meat and gristle you know and it's uh it's a good time, but uh, those quiet moments just beforehand kind of like really sort of like, I guess, immerse you into the the scenario. Yeah. So probably reading through the mission and the theatre of war and just sort of really understanding what you're about to be playing because that some of them are a little bit unusual, you know, compared to standard 40 game missions. I mean... In your game one, you were playing the Pandemic Locale, which was yeah. um, the one with objectives that disappear as the turns progress because you're narrowing down the search to a single location. Yeah, had a really interesting dynamic because you you know like just from the get go, you've got you when you place in the objectives, you're like these these might not be relevant, and it will also influence where your opponent's going to be placing them, and those ones could be far more relevant than yours, you know. Um, so it, even though it is a kind of a, a more sort of like a narrative and a more like sort of like relaxed kind of like environment you still do have very sort of like tactical elements um from the get-go just from like the mission outset and because it's not a textbook here's your here's your deployment here's your mission pick your secondaries and you, you know that's your bread and butter you know what you got instead you're getting this stuff the random elements and random chance thrown your way and diversity thrown your way as well, and you, and it make to me it feels more engaging. You might have to spend a bit of time reading just to, to familiarise yourself, but it, it, that act alone makes me more engaged with the game that I'm about to have. 
Yeah, and then how did you find elements such as the uh, the entropy table? So, like in this mission, the army wide or battle wide, you know, debuffs that can come into play. So when I, when we read about it, it added like uh, an element of like oh, and you roll the dice, but I, I, th I don't think it actually cropped up. <laughs> yeah, but this is the nature of random chance. You know, we had this big kind of like tensor, like, oh, it could be really bad. It could be really bad. Oh, oh, okay. We're good. <laughs> you know, um, and let's crack on. Um, and I, I think we got one, you know, like, it's been a while now. I can't remember. And I think we got one kind of debuff happen, and that was about it, maybe two. Um, but throughout the uh, tournament, I, I actually got off pretty light with the. Um, I guess the mortal wound output from environmental hazards. Yeah. Um, but I know some of the contenders weren't so lucky. Um, yeah, so sort of throughout your games, you dealt with um, battlefield-wide debuffs in forms of yeah. like radiation and um, toxicity. You dealt with yeah. um, exploded uh, bombs and ordnance in a bomb out. Yeah, yeah. And you also had um, a. Um, arcing energy grid in the last game that could be yeah. mortal wounds around based yeah. on which objective markers are currently arcing energy between them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that one. I, I, do you know the the one thing was that I wish I wish I had more time. You know, to play each game. Like I like I feel like you could. Yeah, because you've got all these things. It's like I want to play. Uh, I don't think I managed to get a game right the way through to the end. And then the sort of games that I would want to carry all the way through, but like you know, equally, had I done that, I wouldn't have played as many games as I did. Yes, I mean that is one thing which will tend to come from just practice attending events. You know, any yeah. regular attendees at events will tell you their little you know, tips and tricks on how to get through games. You know, uh, play played out, and I could see that as the event organizer between players who I know were either new to like an event scene or it was their first time I mean, in the case of one person we had someone who was their first game of 9th edition 40k oh flipping heck yeah <laughs> that's it going the deep uh, end but then we also had people who i know are regular event goers and you know they were you know just blitzing through well, not blitzing through their games but they were comfortably you know finishing them you know each round yeah yeah um so yeah so uh, game one against the uh, Imperial Knights, searching for a you know hazardous um, material that was get the good bits. Thing. Yeah, sounds like it was a, a good old game. Um, I don't it know. Was. What, I remember was that your was that a win or a loss for the Dark Hawks? That, that was a hard loss. I think <laughs> the, the my my pride moment in that is my commando knob leader. Well, I had a unit of five commandos, was harassing an Imperial Knight throughout the entire game. I know they can fall back and shoot and whatnot, but I had this unit of five commandos and they were still alive. Well, the knob was still alive right at the very end. And he even managed to wound the Titan with his slugger. It did, yeah. He saved it on his arm save, but he hit it and he wounded it. And so I'll take that as a win. I hit something. So that's good days. <laughs> cool. Um... So then after round one, we had a break for lunch, and I'm guessing at that point you probably just... Um, did you uh, like have a chat with anyone that you'd gone to the event with? Or, I think uh... um, I think at that point I had a mooch around... I spent most of my time actually just looking at all the armies that people had bought, you know, and doing the, thinking about the best painted or, or best army. I can't remember if you did best painted or best army. Uh, 
And uh, I think it was uh, Orb Daggers who ended up taking it in the end, and I think deservedly so. I think I even voted for him too. Um, it's fantastic yeah, conversions of army wide, and they just pop on the table. Um, but yeah, I think I spent my entire lunch break just zipping up and down the tables, looking at each army because, like, you know, just just that little bit of um, you kind of insisting that the armies are painted when you bring them to the event to show the best of the hobby it does it does pay off because you're going around and, but you can see that it's like a labor of love you know and you can see the time and care and it's nice to be in a room of like-minded people who have all put time and care into the same things you have and you can value it and you know that they can value yours too yeah absolutely i mean i think that was kind of like the best part of this whole event for me as the organizer was not only one getting to you know bring all these people together and see all the great armies and see the great times we're having two for me being able to actually offer up an opportunity for people to showcase and play the kind of games that i love to play you know in 40k and that i encourage people to discover yeah 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 two um, it's it it just it just worked really well I can't, I can't praise you enough for it, you know. Um, I feel like I, like the entire time I've been chatting, I've just been like, this was great, that was great, this was great. And, and yeah, because it was great. Um, so even, like, so in your game two, um, uh-huh. you, play, you played on what I would have almost considered to be the most typical sort of standard-ish 40k playable yeah. Yeah. at the event, it, that it's a ruined city you know we've seen plenty of imperial ruined cities in our time but i was able to put the narrative wargamer spin on it and the uh, the abandoned city mission with the um unexploded ordinance makes for an interesting game and uh, yeah how did you how did you find that one um i found it really good actually so i think this this game you know i think your opponent kind of like makes the game a lot of the time as well as the table, like the, the 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 scenario that you laid out was really cool, and it adds an interesting spin because, like you say, it's just a a standard board with um, your typical kind of like ruin layout. But even then, you had these two. They were taller than me, I think, when I was standing next to them. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I, I could have put a mini if I wanted above my head height. <laughs> you know, um, I was tempted with Big Mech with Shock Attack Gun sitting right up on there. He, he'll, I'll leave him there for the game. He's got 17-inch range or 16-inch range, whatever. He's good. He's on holiday. But um, no, I th- I, the dynamic of, like, if you enter a building, you're not sure whether there's going to be an explosive in there and you're going to potentially take in mortal wounds. And, he, and he, that, even though, like, the likelihood isn't too intense, you know, you're not losing droves of minis to it, uh, there's still that element and it gives you that kind of feeling of like you're playing a mission you're sending these guys in here to you know i found myself sending the chaff in you know oi lads go go in there you you know orcs being brave and cowardly at the same time um and, and so i could kind of like see the story being told and then the person i was playing with then uh, it was they were relatively new to warhammer as a whole um and I, i'm not sure if this is the person that you're on about saying that it was their first ninth edition games um but I, I remember she was quite new and was just getting used to it and so that was kind of um it was a nice experience playing with someone else who like hasn't been out super regular and we, we were kind of like learning together as we went along um and uh we had quite a few kind of like comical moments of uh 
things swinging really high or swinging really low a lot of space marines dying when they shouldn't or like space marines just doing what they do when they absolutely tank so much damage that they just don't shift you know um and so we had some heroic last stands and some not so heroic first stands <laughs> i think <laughs> and it was uh it was a real nice game you know of of just kind of like focused on fun and that kind of sense of like we, we're exploring these ruins and it felt to me that narrative situation felt like the two um spear tips of like an army just starting to meet in the middle of ruins just kind of doing their kind of reconnaissance room clearance for, as a preliminary thing to something bigger and that's how my brain put that scenario together in my head yeah and i remember uh, going by your table um, as i was doing you know sort of like wandering the tables between rounds and you know seeing orcs versus blood angels in a very sort of urban city fight environment just looked really cinematic uh, like neither was... of you you both had quite infantry heavy forces so yeah yeah you had a lot of um like models being able to move between all the buildings and it looked great yeah i think uh i just remembered a highlight from that match actually i had, i had uh war boss on speed on on a bike um and on, in every single game that I played, I was like, my war boss is going to go for their war boss. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I had the killer claw and, or, just, or, you know, power claw, and I went to go and grab Mephiston's booty, you know, um, which I deeply regretted afterwards. But just the <laughs> prospect of a cheeky booty grab on Mephiston, you know, it's tempting. <laughs> but yeah, then he absolutely, I think he may, that was well saying, like about the heroic last stance. He has like a five-up shrug or something. I can't remember exactly. And he should have been dead like two or three times over, but he just didn't die. And then, you know, showed me how it was done the next round. It was just a really cool moment in the game. Excellent. Um, and then moving on to sort of like your third and final game of the day. So yeah. This was playing against uh, Necrons. And it was. This was the assault on the installation mission. So this was the one with basically sort of like power generator objective markers. Um, and you know, go on. I was, I was gonna say, yeah, I was gonna. So this was the one with like the energy beams that arc across, and you can teleport your army from one objective to another. It added like a really interesting dynamic to the game. Um, but I also thought, like, how cool this like suits Necrons to a T. I imagine this kind of like technology is somehow to do with them like phasing in and out and doing crazy, like ancient technology. Um, and I just thought it just paired quite well with my opponent. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so funnily enough, this is the mission where if they'd had a Necron table available, <laughs> this would have been the mission that was being played. Yeah, on yeah. I, I, you can see it. You can see it. Um, but alternatively, it was sort of like a, you know an industrial mechanical facility, you know, so it yeah. sort of had more um, like ad mech vibes to it. Um, yeah. But I also like the fact that you mentioned you know it felt suitable to the opponent because yes, every matchup was sort of designed to feel narratively suitable in universe to sort of provide games between the armies that felt like they'd have a good match. So like. I've said before, when I run this event, I actually plan all the pairings for the entire day ahead of time. Ah, I didn't know that. So, well, it, it makes sense because I felt like the stars aligned and it turns out you were aligning the stars. So thank yeah, you for that. Was. 
that's it. Yeah. You are the emperor of mankind, making everything just work. The emperor protects. <laughs> yeah, somewhat the hidden hand, as it were, in all this, because one of the revelations I've found, for me anyway, when running a narrative event like this, is because I had no bearing on win-loss and match results, Yeah, that didn't mean anything for pairings, so it doesn't matter yeah. whether or not people won or lost their previous game, which meant that I didn't have to wait for the results of a round to be able to work out pairings for the following Yeah, game. yeah. Yeah. That... Um, so yeah, I was able to basically pair off every game for between armies on boards with missions and army rules that looked like they would give cinematic and good games for those players. And well, wow. I don't know whether or not you've caught this fact or not, but as a result of that, every single matchup throughout the day was an in-universe. Um, thematic matchup so there was no space marines versus space marines no you know like imperium versus imperium games um everything was you know tyranids versus guard or orcs versus space marines or equivalents yeah like it, it yeah and now that you're saying it like i can i can see all the pieces <laughs> falling into place it's like yeah, uh, the curtain's been pulled away and the mastermind is showed, you know. Um, <laughs> it, but, I mean, there's the evil laugh just to prove it. <laughs> um, but uh, it's uh, it really shows, like, the the time that you put in, even down to just, like, tailoring each individual pairing with each individual person shows time and dedication on your part, which is fantastic. Um, and And... And it was felt, you know, like I said, I didn't know that you'd done it, but I, I felt like all of these have just worked and it's just worked really well. And so, yeah, like that effort you've put in has not gone unnoticed by me and I doubt it's gone unnoticed by anyone else either. And um, it's great to hear that. It honestly is because it kind of, it, it helps validate for me that everything that I've wanted to achieve with this event, I kind of have done, you know, like... Yeah. I've been able to create and tailor these experiences for the people attending to really, you know, play something that is a very unique experience and have a day of 40k that is just not quite like anything else they've ever had played before. Yeah, like, uh, uh, because I've not seen anything like it since, apart from that you're doing a second one, aren't you? Yeah, so the, uh, the second Crucible of War is taking place on October 15th at Tabletop Events in Derbyshire, and um, tickets and event pack details are in the description below. So wherever you're listening to this, if you are interested in attending the next Crucible of War, and uh, there are still some tickets available at this time. And uh, yeah, if you want to come along, hopefully we'll see people there. I know we've got quite a, a good number of returning attendees from the first one. Um, so it's obviously been a, a success with uh, many people. I feel like I lined that plug up quite nicely for you there. <laughs> yeah, you did. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, but like, I haven't, I haven't purchased a ticket this time. I, I like, well, even just arranging this chat between like kids and family and stuff, it's a oh, mess. Yeah, like, I, I, I haven't even, yeah, <laughs> like the prospect of trying to book something in advance is uh, a, a wild notion to me right now. <laughs> um, so, uh, well. 
we'll see. Um, but I would like, I, I remember walking away from that, like, I'm coming to the next one, I'm coming to the next one. And if I can make it work, I will be coming to the next one. Um, 100%. I just hope that other people can experience it. And it's because what my, my concern would be everyone who went last time comes again this time and, and no new people get to do it, you know? Um, because everyone who had it's such a good time, it's just like, oh, okay, we'll go again. Well, thankfully, we're in a position at the moment where we can host more players um, on the day than we had the first time. So everyone who went last time is able to bring a friend next time. <laughs> ah, oh, awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, good, good. Uh, um, and I, I think we spoke about it, like, when... I think at the time as well, at the event, you mentioned that, like, because the amount of possible combinations, you could you could run this event multiple times effectively with the same mission packs and you wouldn't play the same mission again for many days yeah so um on the day we had 12 different missions and table setups like in rotation so as as you'll have seen on the day um every table had a different mission set up on it so there was no round one everyone plays the you know this mission round two everyone plays the second mission yeah every single table had a different mission and environment rule set for it which means that i say we had 12 different missions on the day you're only playing three games in one day you could have yeah. ended for four days in a row and not had the yeah. same been played on any of those days so yeah, yeah which is fantastic yeah, we could literally have had everybody roll in the next day and do it all again, and everybody could have played three more completely different missions. Yeah. And at this point now, I have been sort of slowly expanding the roster of missions and environment rules that I have in my catalogue for the Crucible of War. Yeah. So I actually have more missions and environment options now than we have tables to play on, so I can... Uh, adjust them and pick which ones I want to make work for any given uh, weekend or, or events depending on the people attending so do you, yeah. do you have like a, a big grimoire of just stuff and 40k jank ready to go pretty much I mean I have several uh, I have several photoshop uh, documents now with different um, mission grids and environment setups and all my printouts and documents all digitized and ready to go oh. Oh, that's another thing that was really cool as well. It was just the whole um, for like um, just down to I guess I guess it would fall under branding, but every like all the printouts and everything, it all had like the same thing. It wasn't just like an A4 sheet of paper with this is what you get in on a plain white. It was all like coloured the same way. It had the same like headers and footers and stuff. It was really it was just it just felt like a nice quality package. It's another thing that I appreciated. Oh, thank you. Because as a you know, <laughs> I, I somewhat dabble in graphic design professionally in my job. So to you know, um, obviously hear that sort of feedback is really appreciated. Because uh, yeah, I do. I did spend a lot of time, and I do spend a lot of time working on the little details of this stuff in order to create that sort of professional sheen to it all. So yeah, it's uh, it's really good to hear that <laughs> it's been. Yeah, well, it turns out it paid off. All that graphic design stuff. Well done. Applause. Um, excellent. Uh, so yeah, so uh, I think to sort of round all this out then, um, what are your 
uh, actually, before we just get to that, let's uh, talk quickly about the sort of the end of the event itself. So the award ceremony. How did you feel all that went? Sort of wrap up of the end of the day. Um, I was. Oh, I thought it was awesome. I, I think we were. If I remember right, we were a bit pressed for time um, because I felt like we ran over a little bit, or we were close to running over. I can't. I can't remember exactly, but I wasn't. I wasn't anticipating an award ceremony. I, I, I thought. I thought there wasn't going to be one because we weren't doing like first, second, and third or whatnot. Um, I thought there was just going to be like best painted for what we voted for earlier. Um, and uh, so it was, it was really nice and kind of like heartwarming because like everyone's going up and like, oh, here's an award for this. And you, you it kind of also like cherry picks highlight moments. Like um, I had no idea that there was the, um, I think someone got like the Thunderdome award for their boss winning in the in the 1v1 arena thing and that i didn't even know that that was going on that there was that event of a, a warlord versus warlord and he just like goes like oh so that happened too and then you can ask questions about it and it's also nice to just get everyone gathering around and and just saying like here's a bit of appreciation uh and give back to you guys and, and we even got like little um awards i've, I've still got the uh the bases that I was given for, for as a as a gift for for winning um, an award, which I wasn't expecting, you know, uh, and it was just you know just really nice. It, not, it nice doesn't seem like a good enough word, but it was like not like wholesome, you know. Uh, yeah. And uh, my my uh, my brother does uh, world eaters, and I got some school bases from that and like that. that that'll do. I'll send I'll send those his way. Um, get those painted up nicely, um, and, and again, just another thing that just seemed to fit just right. Excellent. Yeah, like I say, just because we weren't particularly tracking who was you know beating face the most in terms of scores and victories over opponents, didn't mean there wasn't a, a you know a range of different accolades to you know acknowledge and reward people for, and just you know sort of celebrate the hobby in its many different aspects as well as who can roll the most sixes yeah yeah i mean i, I need some help with that one. i do need to start rolling a few <laughs> more I'm, I'm owed some feel like gork and mork owe me a few <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm really glad that you know it came across as you know so friendly and approachable and just so celebratory of the hobby as a whole and that everyone came away with a great experience at the end of it yeah and uh, yeah, um, like I say, last little thing then really for tonight is what were your sort of thoughts coming away from the event then? Uh, sort of, you know, either literally on the way home or like the next couple of days or whatever, just sort of coming down from it all and reminiscing about the uh, the experience on the day. Uh, my, my first thought, like without even hesitation, is I'm coming back. You know, <laughs> that, that was it. Driving, driving away, like I'm, I'm doing this again. It was uh, too much of a high not to. Um, and uh, I think you know because I, it wasn't like too long of a drive back, but the the whole way I was just ticking over like the little moments throughout the day with the various games, and and also um, I met a few other people who I've like followed on social media or who I've chatted to on social on, on like Instagram, and and I was like, these are just great people. I want to do this more. I want to spend more time with these great people and uh, in this great setting that you've put together. So, yeah, I think prim primarily my thought was I'm coming back. I'm doing this again. 
and thankfully it is happening again and it is happening again yeah i think it sounds like a fair few people have had you know that same thought so uh, i know there's some people who are going to be coming this time who couldn't make it last time for various reasons so you know i'm looking forward to doing it again and hopefully then again and again and again in the future because it's been a ton of fun for me to work on and it sounds like it's been a ton of fun for people to play in it has yeah like you just crack on and we'll keep coming (laughs) build it and they will play yes yes (laughs) excellent well thank you again um william for coming on and uh, telling us your own tales from the crucible it's been uh, it's been great to hear from you and it's been great chatting to you too man excellent so uh with that uh say thanks for coming on uh thanks for uh, having a great time at the event and i do hope to see you at some in the future uh and if anyone listening is interested to learn more the, as i say there are details in the description below go check out the event pack you can you know message me on instagram or facebook or wherever then you know come check out the facebook group there'll be pictures there from the event day people will be talking about it and uh yeah if it's something that sounds like you might be interested in then uh get in touch get a ticket and we'll see you there on the day for some great games of 40k yes do it do it now cool so with that we'll jump back now to the rest of the show and uh i believe next up should be necrons on crusade yeah And we're back. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening to our latest tales from Crucible. And uh, yeah, hopefully it's uh, inspired some of you who would be interested in going to go pick up a ticket. And uh, yeah, if you do, we look forward to seeing you there. But in either case, I love hearing these stories. I love listening to the tales from the Crucible. It's just, it's just been a real sort of um, experience to sort of hear everybody's own little stories and the games they played and how it's all come together, you know on the day even though it was you know a couple of months ago now it still feels like i'm learning new things from the day every time yeah i think everybody's got um a lot of different stories to tell uh for the day haven't they um that you obviously running around couldn't possibly see everything that was going on um and it's been really good to hear from the people that attended be so positive um because it was a really good day it was However, that means that now we can move on to the uh, the main topic for tonight, which is, of course, Necrons on Crusade. So, Sharpie, it's your yes. turn now to sort of take us away and uh, tell us all about the rising tomb worlds and what it is that they actually do once they've woken up and uh, down yes. there on Crusade. Yes. Well, I mean, they they don't organise um, mini gatherings and, and, you know, catch up on... Uh, missed family uh, tales like many would do they they set out across the galaxy uh to claim back their their dynasties um the the overriding rule for for the necrons is that your warlord is trying to increase uh the number of uh, epithets that that, that that it may have or these wonderful 
names that they gain from crushing their their opponents before them. Um, I, I mean, I would I would say um, that um, that looking back at the Necron Crusade rules, um, there, there definitely is not as much here uh, as there <laughs> are in um, more modern uh, codices. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny how you know earning a, a grandiose name is uh, not as involved as uh, the you know micromanagement of the Chaos Lord. Having recently read through my, my Chaos Space Marine Crusade rules and all the things that you can do uh, with them, um, playing games and getting, uh, getting a slightly longer name doesn't necessarily uh, feel quite as fleshed out uh, <laughs> as, as some of the things that Games Workshop have done recently. However, it is quite interesting and some of the names are quite amusing and um, it, it, it's nice to add a a new name to your to your warlord once you've crushed one of your opponents along the way. Yeah, I do think that this is one of those ones which sort of has its own little humorous like um, candences to it, as it were. Like just yes. the, this idea that you know every game your warlord is now becoming you know the conquering tyrant of the you know under realms of the ancient dynasties of the um, rightful you know, heirs to the stars or something you know and just absolutely like, i'm he's sure a... you'll be able to give us some examples shortly but just yeah he's he's somebody whose name should be whispered in dark corners but unfortunately mm. his name's like 50 words long by the time he's he's conquered a couple of uh, of worlds but yes and... i mean it is it's it's an interesting um, thing and it's and it's quite straightforward um, in that respect, in that if you win a game, you get to uh, you get to add an epithet to your to your um, to your warlord, and if you get three of them, then you get to to add a, a dynastic ability as well. So yeah, and, and that's more or less like the core of the faction specific mechanic, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's only related specifically to your warlord, isn't it? That's right. Yes. But, yeah. but some of some of the dynastic abilities are are okay. Uh, what, what I would say is, uh, with with a lot of the changes to the Necron rules across the whole book in recent times, some of the things that they initially set up that they, they suggest would make things better, um, kind of aren't very useful anymore. Like there's some things that talk about, you know, if they're on the board, the command protocols work everywhere. Well, actually, that's a whole Necron rule now, isn't it? So yes, that's. that's that's not as useful as it perhaps was sort of 12 months ago but <laughs> but i'm i'm sure and as we know um games workshop have tried to shore things up for the necron crusades out there with the with the rules in white dwarf this month yeah so that's one of the reasons why we're sort of revisiting this faction in particular uh, you know this month because they have recently received you know, some expanded rules to their Crusade rules in the latest issue of White Dwarf. So that is issue um, 479? Yeah, 479. Yeah. Uh, so if you are a Necron player out there and you want to expand on your Crusade rules, that's where you'll find the latest stuff. But um, yeah, it's funny how, because of the fact that they clearly are sort of like a first-generation Crusade rule set, their unique faction mechanic is very simplified by comparison to some of the more... Oh, oh absolutely. But... Not, that, not necessarily a bad thing, is it? 
Yeah, it's not. It's not necessarily a bad thing. And with the addition of the White Dwarf rules, they've also got a very extensive set of Crusade yes. rules. Like, so yes. things tied to you know your core elements of Crusade, like agendas, requisitions, battle traits in particular. Like, there is a vast sort of like scope of um, tools and options available to Necron players now when developing their force, if not a you know bespoke um crusade mechanic all of its own but what yeah. is there is lots of choice now yes definitely so yeah um so just uh give us some examples then of these epitaphs and uh how is it exactly that you actually determine what new name you get is it random or is it semi-random so, so, or... so there are there are two tables in the in the codex Ooh, we love uh, a there good two... table. Yeah, they're two D sixty six tables. <laughs> uh, so you can you can and um, obviously that's a significant number of effects uh, there. Um, but obviously you can choose to take them, or you should do the thing that you should always do and just do it at random and take it on the chin, no matter what what comes along. Yeah. Um, so you obviously choose the table, and there's some great ones in there. Um, uh, let's let's have a look. So ever vengeful tyrant of the night. Breaker of the Catan, Scourge of the Blood Worlds, the Intolerant Ruler of the Ninth Kingdom, <laughs> Keeper of the Bladed Void, Breaker of the Beings Below, and then some of them unfortunately aren't quite as exciting, but you know, um, let's have a look. There's a couple that I was looking at earlier. Um, there's the there's the Despiser of the Yabby Yabby. <laughs> Whoever the yabby yabby are, absolutely, or were possibly if they've earned yes. the air of an Eglon Lord, uh, Bane of the Vig, Vig, um, he who listens not to unworthy prattlings. Ah, oh, that's my <laughs> favourite so far. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it's well worth even just choosing that one just to 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 throw it in there, isn't it? So yeah, so I mean, there's there's plenty in there. Um, and you know, I've played a couple of Crusade games, and I've won one of them. So I, I, I did get one added onto my, on my warlord, and it, it's quite nice um, to to see his name improve over a period of time. Um, kind of like a, a constant record of his triumphs. I mean, I, I bet it will be pretty entertaining after a while seeing your like Crusade card filled out. Name onto it. Oh, what have we got this time? Oh, Conqueror of the Zoraxians. Excellent. I could just imagine uh, someone out there getting like a, a custom display base made up where they've got like his name like, yes. engraved upon it, you know, sort of like um, <laughs> nameplate style, yeah. but like a specific stand because yeah. it's going to be a longer name than it is to say, go on the base. Every, every time I've, people put those um, custom names on the bases, don't they? Um, you can buy, I think you can buy them. There's three. There's, 3D printed ones where you can pay to have a name on your base. I just imagine somebody with like a stack of bases underneath their overlord as they've <laughs> added one every single time and he's about six foot off the table. Then he truly would be the conqueror he of truly, those below. Absolutely, yes. Like a statue in the board. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so tell you what, give us, uh, let's 
create a little example Necron mod then. So okay. if you, you said every free uh, epitaphs gains an ability, yes? Yep. Yep, so why right. don't we why do we generate six names and have two um, dynastic abilities? Okay, okay. So feel free to roll some dice and give us a, a random um, uh, mighty Necron Overlord. Okay, so uh, I've got a couple of dice here ready for this. So uh, the first one, uh, do you want table one or table two? Uh, should we do three off table one and then three off table two? Yeah, we'll do the first three off table one then. So let me. Just, I'm just going to roll roll the dice. Uh, I've got 26. So that's Sentinel of the Eternal Gate for the first one. Okay. Uh, 51 is Rightful Ruler of the Third Dynasty. So, so we've got Sentinel of the Eternal Gate, Rightful Ruler of the Third Dynasty. And then the last one is 14, which is Ever Vengeful Tyrant of the Night. <laughs> so the sentinel rightful ruler vengeful tyrant yeah so and, uh, whatever your name is sentinel of the eternal gates rightful ruler of the third dynasty and ever vengeful tyrant of the night and what would that mean in terms of a dynastic ability gate so you can choose to take uh, one of the there's eight dynastic abilities that you can choose from um do you want me to talk you through a couple of them? Yeah, give us some examples. Right, so the the first one is called Arcane Collector, and this Necron yearns to understand the mysteries of the galaxy, seeking to study the artifice of each of its other races to learn how best to subjugate them utterly. So each time a melee attack made by this noble destroys an enemy model that has a relic, this noble gains two bonus experience points. Yeah, that's quite nice. It so, is again to say this is like early days crusade rules, actually targeting our opponents with relics. Yeah, yeah. So some of these are actually quite good. Um, so uh, those, which one was right? So the, the one that that I quite liked was called Lord of Legions. Um, this noble has prioritised the awakening of their vast legions as only an obsessive completionist could. If this noble is part of your crusade force, then the fresh recruits requisition costs zero requisition points if the unit being increased is from the same dynasty as this noble. Oh, that's quite cool. So it's you in. can you can increase your unit sizes for free. For free, yes. Now, so, I, I, I would assume you would, that basically means that when you increase your requisition limit, you can then immediately fill it out for free yes. on. Yep. Um, on and an extra five unit. warriors into a unit. Yeah, because obviously, like, if you increase your acquisition limit, then you can just add new units to your order of battle, no problem. You know, to fill out that additional yeah. space. But increasing the size of an existing unit is something that requires more acquisition normally. Yes. So that uh, that is quite a useful ability. Yeah. So I thought I quite like that one. Um, we have got Martial Perfectionist. Since their revivification, this noble has become obsessed with refining their fighting form to peak efficiency, for they desire to slaughter the lesser races. Once per battle, if this noble is on the battlefield, you can use one battle tactic stratagem for zero command points. Again, three command points, especially if you're playing in a, a Nephilim-style environment. Yeah, that is that's really good. That's pretty good. Um, dynastic embodiment. 
Okay, I mean, this is quite good for, for Crusade, I think. So for this Necron, order and tradition are everything. The codes of battle must be adhered to. If this noble is part of your Crusade army, you can select a maximum of two agendas from page 71 uh, of this codex instead of one. So you can take two Necron agendas um, rather than one and two others. Nice. So, so yeah. yeah. So just quickly then to sort of uh, round out our examples on the uh, the grandiose names. Should we get three names from table two as well to yeah. expand upon our absolutely lord? Yeah. So let's see. So so we're uh, moving on. Then he's carrying on across, and so I have got twenty four, which makes him monarch of the outer void. <laughs> uh, and again. Um, uh, 43 he who bars the gate he's already sent to love it so make yeah, sense absolutely yep yeah. and then uh, last but not least oh 11 uh, Bane of the Talisari <laughs> oh poor Talisari yeah absolutely Destro well, whoever they were there, he was their Bane <laughs> So, and then at that point, you would get a second elastic ability, and you just, you know. Then you get a level. second one, yep, yeah, absolutely. So, you get, yeah, you can imagine that, you know, while in addition to that as well, you're also getting your battle crates and your yep. crusade relics and everything else that you're leveling up. So, you know, by this point, you're going to be a pretty grandiose Necron Lord. You know, you've got all these um, level ups and abilities, you've got these, you know, excessively long, endless titles and names, and, uh, you know, appropriately powerful abilities to accompany them so yeah i i think in, in an army of uh you know essentially mostly mindless robot automatons and where the higher rank you are the more personality you retain it kind of makes sense that you know your your overlord is going to be the person who is the rising star of your crusade it's going to be yes you know quite egotistically all about them yes I mean, they don't necessarily have to stay as an overlord. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, tell us then about um, what, what would make sense to jump to the next? Agendas or requisitions? Um, should we do the agendas? Go on then. Uh, so, okay. what agendas do we have? So, there, there are four um, in, in, in here. So we've got, uh, the first one's called the Unending Tally, um, and uh, this is specifically for destroyers. Destroyers care only for the murder of organic life. Their obsession is monomaniacal. Their tally of the slain ever growing and their joyless appetite never sated. So you keep an unending tally for each Necron's destroyer unit from your army. At the end of each battle round, you add one to that tally if it destroyed two or more enemy units that round. Okay, and at the end of the battle, each unit gains two experience points for every mark of its unending talent. Makes sense. Destroyers destroying things. Yep. So, um, pretty good. You've got to you've got to kill a, um, a couple of units in a battle round, but um, they tend to be pretty killy, so it's likely. Uh, the second one's called supremacy through annihilation. Um, 
To the Necrons, it is not enough to simply defeat their enemies. They must prove their superiority by completely obliterating them with contemptuous ease. How else, after all, are the lesser races to be truly put in their place? So on this one, you keep an Annihilation Tally for each Necrons unit from your army. At the start of each battle round, you select one enemy unit that is at its starting strength and every model's got its starting number of wounds, so it's got to be at pretty much full strength. If that enemy unit is destroyed this battle round, add one to the Annihilation Tally of each unit from your army that destroyed one or more models from that enemy unit during this battle round. Okay, and then each unit gains a number of experience points equal to their Annihilation Tally. That's Basically, cool. Yeah, pick on a unit, everybody shoots at it. If everybody kills something in that unit, they get a Tally, and then that adds up to experience points at the end. Yeah, that's quite nice. Like, see, focusing down on one thing, and the more uh, individual firers that you can contribute towards that, the more XP you're going to get out of it. Yeah, and to be fair, um, Necrons aren't the most killy of armies, so it's likely that it's not very often that you point a unit at a unit and then that unit's gone. Usually you do have to sort of gang up on it a little bit with, with firepower, so that one sort of plays into some of the weaknesses that the, perhaps the Necron army's got in that respect. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, so the next one's the one that I usually take. Um, I think it plays into the sort of... Um, the, the way that Necrons can be a bit more resilient, and it's called Territorial Imperative. So during the Great Sleep, the Necrons' once sprawling territories were steadily eroded, conquered, and parceled up by other beings. Now that they are rising once more, the dynasties are loath to lose any more ground. So you keep a Territorial Imperative tally for each Necrons unit in your army, and you can add one to that Territorial Imperative tally each time it either destroys an enemy unit that started the turn within three inches of an objective marker, okay, or it completes a territorial imperative action, which is, at the end of your movement phase, one Necron's infantry unit from your army that is within range of an objective marker that is not wholly within your own deployment zone can start to perform this action, okay, uh, and this action is completed at the start of your next command phase. And then each unit gains a number of victory points equal to their territorial imperative tally. So basically, you get points for taking opposition units off objectives, and then you can basically stand on objective, do a do an action. If you're still there at the next uh, start yeah. of your next command phase, then um, you get an extra one to your tally. Which, which if you've got fairly decent sized sort of Necron warrior units or immortal units chances are that you're probably going to be okay to do that yeah i think i think having played a couple of crusade games that that one to me is the one that sort of plays into the the strength of of the army because it's not the most killy but it but it's it is pretty annoying and resilient so yeah they can get places and hold things yeah yeah and then the last one is called inescapable retribution um so, as though it were not enough of an insult that the creeping thieves of the lesser races defiled the dynastic tombs with their intrusion, they also stole precious artifacts whose true worth that they cannot comprehend. These must be recovered, even if the quest should take a thousand years. So, if you selected this agenda, then after both sides have finished deploying, your opponent must set up one objective mark on the battlefield 
that is not within their own deployment zone, this objective marker represents the dynastic treasure but does not count as an objective marker for any rules purposes other than for the agenda. So Necrons, infantry units from your army can attempt the following action as described in the Warhammer 40k core book. So recover treasure. At the end of your movement phase, one unit from your army that is within three inches of the dynastic treasure objective marker can start to perform this action. This action is completed at the start of your next command phase. If completed, remove the dynastic treasure objective marker from the battlefield. So a unit gains three experience points if it completed this action. If that unit is either within your deployment zone at the end of the battle, or if every enemy unit on the battlefield is destroyed, and if that unit is a character, you can additionally use the Relic Requisition or Cryptic Arcana Requisition to give that model a Relic or Cryptic Arcana as if it had gained a rank without spending a Requisition point. They have to be able to take a Relic or Cryptic Arcana. Now that is really cool, that last yes. clause there. Like, yeah. So, because up to that point, I was like, yeah, it's it's one of the sort of standard, you know, opponent adds an additional objective onto the table. Yeah. You you go to it, claim it, maybe there's do an action involved, and you, you get some, you know, XP rewards. But actually, the whole returning to your deployment zone with a character yeah. carrying it. Or, or kill the rest of the, just annihilate them off the table. Yeah, because then obviously the whole yeah. the whole table is then yours, yeah. <laughs> as it were. Yeah. Um, and then it turns out that that objective market is an actual piece of like in-game relic war yeah. gear. That's really cool. Yes. Yeah, I would. I, I I always think it looks like it's quite a challenging one to do. Um, I don't know now that um, Necrons have had a bit more of a glow up. I don't know whether whether that might might be a little bit easier to, to achieve but it always felt to me like there was a lot going on where they're going to put the objective marker do i want my overlord to run up the table to to chase it down and run back off with it you know so but yeah i mean it's it's certainly narrative give yeah. us back our uh, our uh, valuables uh, you dirty thieves <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's really cool um, so yeah, so you know, being that that's basically sort of like a free requisition use, then so uh, I assume the um, the cryptic arcana is basically is that a again sort of like a war gear slash specialism? Yeah, so so that's uh, that's something in the main in the main rules. Uh, cryptic arcana are pointed um, sort of war gear things you can get oh, for each of your cryptics. Yeah. And then there's a there's a set requisition called Cryptic Arcana in the same way that there's a relic um, yeah, requisition. It, it, it's your sort of classic. Um, the core rules for this army involve some paid upgrades. When you play Crusade, these yeah. are earned rather than just available at creation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, cool. So, what other requisitions do we have then? So, um, so yeah, we I think there's five. Um, so the first one is the Cryptic Arcana one, which is you just add a Cryptic. So when you add a Cryptek unit to your order of battle, or when a Cryptek model in your Crusade force gains a rank, that model is upgrade, upgraded to have one item of Cryptek, Cryptek Arcana, um, increase its power rating accordingly, and make a note of this Crusade card. So it's just it's just like a relic uh, one. Um, the, the next one's called the Glory of Subjugation. 
So as the ancient codes of honor demand to the victor in any dynastic war may claim the resultant spoils, great notoriety, rich treasures, and a tithe of soldiery subsumed from the legions of the defeated foe. So th this one's quite interesting in that um, you have to play Necrons. So you purchase this requisition after a victory is achieved in the battle against a Necrons army. So it has to be a mirror match. Your warlord gains five experience points and you can immediately purchase the fresh recruits requisition once for zero requisition points. <laughs> Another way of getting more free recruits. Yes, so so play against lots of uh, Necron armies and you can very quickly build up your uh, your army. Yeah, uh, the yeah, there's, one... a, there's a similar one for Orcs. We uh, beat yes. a rock player so now lads join your uh... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's, a it's, it's a nice one, isn't it? Um, I, I, I don't know. I feel that when you've only got five requisitions, Wotherlands literally, you know, kind of <laughs> specifically against one army in the entire entire universe. Yeah. But but it's it's narrative. You know, we beat you, we'll have your men. So well, then again, although we haven't uh, covered them yet, you've got things like the Drukari, where practically their entire racial system is about just beating on other Drukari. <laughs> <laughs> claiming territory in Gamora. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I mean, I mean, it's nice. It's fluffy and it's narrative, isn't it? So it is. I, I would definitely use it if I, uh, if I beat a Necron's force for one requisition point. Um, cunning advisors. The greater a Necron noble's reputation, the more cunning and accomplished are the cryptex who seek them out and offer them service. So, purchase this requisition when you add a cryptic unit to your order of battle if your crusade force already includes a noble unit of at least blooded rank. That cryptic unit gains 6 experience points and therefore gains the blooded rank. Select one battle armor for them as normal. Yeah, so this is the... You can spend requisition points to basically hire slash add a pre-upgraded unit yeah. you know, of a certain type, in this case cryptics. So they yep. come in with pre-existing experience yeah. and therefore pre-existing battle traits or equivalent upgrades. Yeah, and uh, the, the Cryptex, the, obviously there's four different ones and um, they've got variable powers. So if, you, if you're feeling you might you need some mortal wound output, you could put a Psychomancer in and quickly upgrade it. Or maybe you want an yeah. interval save, so you stick a Chronomancer in. So I mean, it's quite a nice one. Another fun one to sort of use to mirror when you beat another Necron player. You'd be like, so, so have you got a Cryptek there? What, what rank is he and what upgrades do, does he have? Yes. And then you, you add uh, an equivalent uh, Cryptek to your force, representing yep. the fact that you've uh, poached yep. this Cryptek from Absolutely. the employee of the other Necron Lord. Yep. Changed his protocols, brought him back. Uh, right, so then we've got Eldritch Artifice. So, no greater status symbols are there to the Necron nobility than mighty war engines. Any dynastic leader with designs on hierarchical elevation would do well to pour all the resources they can into furnishing their armory with the finest weapons they possibly can. So, purchase this requisition when you add a Necron's vehicle unit to your order of battle, or when a Necron's vehicle unit in your Crusade Force gains a rank. If your Crusade Force includes a Technomancer, that vehicle, that vehicle unit gains one weapon enhancement, increase its Crusade points accordingly, and make a note on its Crusade card. So, 
So yeah, I mean not not as exciting as some of the others, but if you've got a technomancer and you put a vehicle in, it gets a helpful. It gets a nice weapon enhancement. <laughs> and then finally, um, the slow decay of the self, uh, and this is this is probably the one that sort of sticks in with the early uh, crusade rules that Games Workshop were were throwing out there to, to show you how your army might change. Uh, and I definitely would uh, try and get this to happen, I think. So it is perilous to fight alongside the destroyer cults for too long, lest their nihilistic madness find purchase within the personality engrams of formerly stable Necrons. So purchase this requisition after a battle in which your crusade army contained one or more units with the destroyer cults keyword, Select one Lord or Overlord model that was also part of that Crusade army, remove that model from your order of battle, and replace it with a Destroyer Cult character model from the same dynasty. You cannot purchase this requisition if doing so will cause your power level to exceed your supply limit. Uh, the newly added Destroyer Cult character model starts with the same number of experience points as the character it replaced and immediately gains the appropriate number of battle honors for its rank. So one of your characters goes mad because you put destroyers into your army. Yeah, it's like uh, it's a bit like the space marine entombing a character. Into a dreadnought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's absolutely. like you know, here is your Necron Lord character, and um, he's gone a bit mad now, and he's a he's succumbed to the destroyer cult. Yeah. So now he becomes a destroyer lord and uh, retains his sort of rank and experience and everything. So you basically just respec him into being. Is a destroyer incarnation instead. Yeah, which uh, it's, itself it's, tells a it's great quite, story. Yeah, it's quite a nice way. I mean, if uh, I mean, I don't know whether you'd have a, a lord in rather than an overlord, but um, a, a lord's not a particularly brilliant unit. But if you put one in and then stick it in an army with some destroyer and then uh, whop it into a, a destroyer lord, uh, I mean, that's that's quite a step up in there. Uh, what you've got in your army. Yeah, I, I like to say, I, I just think it's cool having that ability to sort of... I mean, any of these requisitions where you take one unit and turn it into another sort of thing. Like, I, I think the Sisters of Battle have the options of taking, like, a Spell Sister Squad and turning them into Repentia. Yeah. And back again, I think. Um, yeah. I, I've, of... got, I've got some Guardians in my uh, Craft World, Alderi, uh, crusade that are very, very, very likely to become Wraith uh, <laughs> um, very, very soon, judging by how badly they're doing in their battles. <laughs> Is that a thing you can do with the old hour one? You can turn yeah, into Wraith. Yeah, if, if they get um, two of the um, um, what, what, what do you call it when they get in, the two, if they get two battle scars, then you can use a requisition point, I think, to change them into a, a unit of a Wraith unit, so either Wraith Guard or, or Wraith Blades. <laughs> That's awesome! I did not yeah. know that. That's so, so I've got, cool. I've got a guardian unit that can't, uh, that's lost its objective secured ability. So I'm just going to run them out and get them killed on my next one, because uh, a unit of wraith guard is significantly better than uh, <laughs> <laughs> the guardians. Oh, that's awesome! Cool. Um, so speaking of, um, so what, speaking of battle scars, then. Uh, it's actually the case that the Necron Codex actually has a number of battle scars, isn't it? Which is something which I don't think they've done a lot of in no. the books. Like, they've you know... got... yeah, they've got um, they've got four battle scars for specific 
types of units, um, which, like you say, you don't often see um, in the other um, Crusades. Um, so yeah, there's four. So the first one is for uh, noble units only, and that's called Creeping Madness. So this noble's sanity is unraveling one engram at a time, lending them a savage vitality, but rendering their capacity to issue rational commands non-existent. So if you take this one, um, you get to add one to the strength and attacks characteristics of models in that unit. Okay, which sounds good. Uh, that doesn't sound like a battle scar, does it? But then this unit is not considered to be a noble or character unit for the purposes of the command protocol's ability and no longer has the following abilities, my will be done or the Lord's will, which is obviously plus one to hit or reroll one depending on the overlord or lord. Yeah, it's just all command phase buffs are the issues and yeah. stuff. So yeah, they so can't use the commands, but they uh, become stronger in themselves. Yeah. They're going to go hit things and they're one step away from becoming a, destroy a destroyer lord, which handily uh, you can do with a uh, one requisition point at the end of the game. <laughs> That's, that's cool. Yeah. Um, what else we got? So we've got uh, one for destroy cult units called Mindless Reaper. So whatever dregs of personality or intellect this being possessed are draining away, replaced by their mechanistic obsession with endless slaughter. So when a model in this unit makes an attack, you can reroll the hit roll. So destroyers usually reroll once. This is rerolling everything. Uh, in your shooting phase, each time this unit is selected to shoot, models in this unit can only target the closest eligible enemy unit. And in your charge phase, each time this unit prepares a charge, you can only select the closest enemy unit as the targets of that charge. So you get much better at attacking, but you only ever attack the first thing that you can see. <laughs> so, so, F so Necrons. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the shoot, this is not brilliant for the shooty ones, but but for the um, some of the more sort of melee based ones, um, this is actually pretty good because you're probably only ever going to lightly charge the closest enemy anyway. So being a, being forced to do that, but being able to reroll all your attacks is is actually not necessarily a, a bad battle scar, I would say. Yeah, I think this is one of these sort of more interesting things that the Necron Crusaders have going for them at the moment is that they've got these sort of uh, positives and negatives to their yes. battle traits. Like the fact that they've got battle scars that provide you with an upside but at a cost rather than just being a straight downside yeah. it actually makes them an interesting choice and I think it incentivizes the idea of keeping some of your battle scars rather than yes. just kind of heal them straight away. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the, the next one's for Canoptech units. Um, and th this is called Depleted Transmaterial Reserves. Um, yes, yeah, absolutely. What does it mean? Who cares? It's awesome. Um, these constructs are running an exhausted power are running on exhausted power supplies, leaving them nothing in reserve to effect self repair during battle. So you get to <laughs> add one to the attacks characteristics of models in the unit. However, you can't use reanimation protocols or living metal abilities. Ooh, so that yeah, so that is quite significant. Now I know that canoptic units struggle to reanimate anyway because yes. you know of how many dice you need to it, succeed on. Yeah, Lose, losing the living metal is the key one there. Because yeah. uh, if I think if I think of the, I, I usually run a, a unit of wraiths, 
Um, very, very, unless you lose a lot of wraiths in one go, you very rarely reanimate one back in. Uh, people usually kill one in some shooting or one in some melee, and then roll, rolling three fives, fives or sixes is, is fairly unlikely. So actually, you might you might chance your arm on this one and go, well, reanimation never works for them anyway, so let's have an extra attack. Um, and they can be pretty nasty, especially now that um, they've got the core keyword and they can have my will be done on them. So... Yes, again, really genuinely interesting pros and cons to their battle scouts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, and that, then that was all of them, wasn't it? Well, there's was one more. There's one more for, for just general Necron units apart from Catans, and it's called Engrammatic Degradation. Um, so this one subtracts one inches from the move characteristics of models in the unit. It subtracts one from advance and charge rolls made for the unit. Um, but this unit, and this is what I said earlier about the command protocols changing, meaning this isn't so good. But this unit always benefits from the selected directive of the command protocol that was active for your army during the first battle round, instead of the selected directive of the command protocol that is currently active for your army. Which obviously, now that there's two running every turn, and the one that you select at the start of the game runs through the game anyway, that's not. I wouldn't think too many people would choose that one because that only feels like it's got negatives. Yeah. But still, it's a battle scar, you know, it so you, yeah. can, you, can, take, you can repeal it if you want. Yeah, take it on your, on your warriors. So, yeah. So, yeah. so like I say, I think one of the actually the more interesting things for Necron Crusaders now is these battle scars and the fact that they've got pros and cons to them. But also, sort of on the flip side of that, Especially with the new expanded white dwarf rules, one of the things that Necrons have going for them now, more so than I think any other faction when it comes to battle traits in a yes. crusade, they have got practically a unique table of battle traits for almost every kind of unit now. Yes, so, I think we'll, we'll go... eight, eight tables now. I think isn't there. Yeah, so we'll go through some um, some sort of you know highlight examples, but just to run through what these actually are. So Necrons now have a unique battle trait table for each of the following kinds of units, and that is noble units, core units, cryptic units, canoptic units, destroyer cult units, flayed one units, triarch praetorian units, titanic units, and from the White Dwarf rules, six separate battle trait tables for each of these six major dyna uh, dynasties. Yes. So, yes. like, there is a ton of battle trait tables now for all these different kinds of Necron units, you know. It's pretty cool. You, you can definitely um, upgrade and, and sort of change your army to your, to your will, probably more so than any other army. In that respect now yes it's very very much your will be done yes absolutely <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah like I mean, even like some of the things that have sort of like overlapping this things like the uh tripatorian units well that's both the infantry and the vehicle like the yes. walker because that's yep. a really cool table um but then you know titanic so <laughs> All yes. the, the monoliths and the obelisks and the um, uh, triarch vault, is it? 
yes. That's the one. Yeah. Uh, you know, like to have a, a battle trait table for Titanic units is uh, is awesome. So yes, upgrade the Tesseract Vault. Yeah, so I don't know if there's um, any particular, you know, highlight ones that you want to pick out from any of these, be it the Codex ones or the White Dwarf ones. Um, so, um, I I tend to run a lot of Canoptic units. So, um, I've had a, a, I've certainly had one, one of these before. Um, one of the ones for Canoptic is called Optimized Aggressors. Um, and that gives reroll advance rolls and charge rolls made for the unit, um, which is always nice. Um, the, the the core units um, aren't the most exciting. There's one where um, out of action tests taken for the unit are automatically passed. Um, uh, there's another one where each time you make a reanimation protocol roll for the unit, you can change a single dice result to a six. Um, yeah, which, which that is it, the same one now for one of the striker upgrades. Yeah, you can do the it's, same thing. It's and it's interesting because I've I've never thought that was very good because I was reading this as core units and thinking back to when I first started playing with Necrons. And actually, <laughs> now when you think about core units. Okay, actually, that's significantly better because there's so many more core units uh, because of the, the changes that have been made. And actually, the number of times you'll roll two fives when you're trying to reanimate a, a Wraith or one of your destroyers, being able to change the third dice to a, to a six, that might make a difference. Yeah, I can see making a big difference on things like Lich Guard as well. Oh, my word, yes. Uh, like, say, say you rolled, you know, three um five pluses across uh, your dice and then turning a, a fourth one into a six means two lich guards two lich guards back up yeah yes yeah, so that one's not, not too bad at all um and yeah again i can imagine on the destroyer cult unit being able to access that so things like your um what are they called the scorpec destroyers yes like you know i, I imagine again the same ability on them bringing back a whole full score pack is just going to be really useful and really irritating for your opponent yeah <laughs> um speaking of annoying for the opponent the one of the flared one unit upgrades is the horrific stalkers which is that one where they have a six inch aura that turns off enemy obsec uh, ob yes that's nice I, I really like flayed ones um i i like the aesthetic for them i didn't enjoy building them that kit is uh is a monstrosity, but but they they are an awesome unit. I love the idea uh, of them, and that that fits in really sort of thematically, doesn't it? That actually we're really close to you. You're just going to run away and forget about doing the job that you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and then I I love all three of the Titanic ones. And again, to say that the number of units in the Codex that actually have the Titanic keyword, when you consider mm. the monolith and the obelisk and the Tesseract Vault, it's actually, you know, a range of units. But like, all three of their upgrades are brilliant. The, um, the There's one where they basically count as double wounds for the purpose double of wounds, characteristics, yeah. which includes the powers of the Catan that it can use in the case of the Vault, which is brilliant. Um, you've got one that's basically transhuman all the time, on your yes. Titanic vehicle, which again, 
being a big thing. I can't imagine there'd be a lot of stuff that would be moving it on to Yeah, I can't imagine when most of them are toughness eight. There's too many things wounding them on, on less than the four anyway. But uh, but when that volcano cannon or volcano yes. lands, it's fired at it and it's not yes. wounding on twos. It's not going to be on fours. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. But then the one I really like is the Empheric Designators, which is basically where <laughs> the Titanic vehicle gets the benefit from like marker light effects from other uh, weapons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> each time this model makes a ranged attack, if another Dynasty unit from your army made an attack against that same target this turn, add one to that attack's hit roll. So yeah, basically your other units marker light things up for your Titanic yeah. unit. So it's just made an attack as well, isn't it? You don't actually have to... Yeah, so I think it's the it's same thing the um the Italian Stalker has, the Dark Stalker. That has like a label site ability, doesn't it? Hmm. But yeah, like that's just really cool. Um so yeah, like I think between all of the the dynasty traits, all of these different unit traits, you've now got I think it's sort of six, uh ten You've got 14 unique battle trait tables for yep. units without actually using any of the standard Crusade battle trait tables. Yep. You, you can definitely have a very individualized looking army. Um, and there's plenty of choice. Um, if you've got two um, warrior units, um, that you can have two very, very different warrior units because one can come from the core units, one could come from the dynasty. Um, battle traits which are pretty cool as well yeah so um so i think at this point then we'll we'll have a little bit of a deeper dive into the uh, dynasty specific stuff in white dwarf and then once we've finished that up we'll uh, we'll round out with the last of the crusade relics so okay okay yeah so in addition to the four new um battle trait tables available to everyone um like all dynasties they've also added in white dwarf uh, a full page of extra crusaders for each of the major dynasties. Now, this is in line with what we've seen in the Chaos Space Marine Codex recently, where they've started to break down crusaders to that sub-faction level. Um, and it's really, really nice to see. <laughs> Especially in the case of the Necrons, where I think it adds that extra layer to their crusaders. Yeah, absolutely. It also makes make you realise that Games Workshop are still thinking very carefully about how those people who are playing Crusade are getting up, updated rules that, that you know it's not just an afterthought for them. They've they've really gone to town here. They could they could just have given four battle trait tables for the four different units, but for them to really really think about each separate main dynasty. And give them an agenda, a requisition, a battle trait, and a relic. I mean, there's some thought gone into this. Yeah, so um, especially when what I really like is that, so as we've mentioned, all six of the dynasties get a unique battle trait table. And it, they're all a D3 table, and results one and two vary from dynasty to dynasty, you know, based on sort of what they do and what they're good at. Yeah. But the nice thing is that the third trait option for all of them is it makes their dynasty unique stratagem one CP less to use for that unit. Yes. So, for example, the Sazarkan ones basically have the um, the stratagem that lets them deny powers as though they were a psyker. 
Yeah, on a four so, plus, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. if you wanted to use that on this unit that's got this battle trait of enhanced counter and ferric fields, then it costs you um, zero CP rather than mm. one to do it if they are the unit that are going to be doing that deny. Uh, and yeah, then that's cool. the same is true of um, result three on the battle traits for all the dynasties. It's whatever their dynasty unique stratagem is, it's one CP less for that particular right. unit to use it. Um, which is nice because again, it's that level of sort of thought about it on a on a sub faction level. Yeah, and it, it it's a nice way of leading into what the faction does well, isn't it? Yeah, which I'm gonna uh, I've picked out a few here. So like like you've said, every single dynasty gets a, an additional unique agenda requisition trait table and relic. But I'm just gonna pick out a couple of uh, standouts for me from each of these dynasties. So. Uh, in the case of the Soltec dynasty, I thought their agenda, um, and actually their, their acquisition, I'm going to do two for them because I thought these were both brilliant. So the agenda is the Lord of the Storm. Imhotep delights in humiliating the commanders of his foes. Those who seek his favour look to commit acts worthy of their liege. If you select this agenda, keep a Lord of the Storm tally for each Soltec character unit from your army. Add one to this tally each time such a unit destroys an enemy character model and add two to the tally instead if they destroyed the enemy warlord, or if it was a character that had 11 or more wounds. It's a monstrous character. Yeah. <laughs> um, at the end of the battle, each Soltec character gains two experience points for each mark on their Lord of the Storm tally, but the really nice part about it is if the enemy warlord was destroyed, gain uh, D3 requisition points. Yes, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, if you have a, a Sawtech character slay the enemy warlord, you get D3 requisition points. Yeah, I'd still only roll one. But anyway, <laughs> it's still good, isn't it? Yeah. What I think's really funny about it as well is it doesn't even have to be a melee attack like a lot of these are. Ah, it's, yes. It's just an attack. It's just as long as they destroy the enemy unit. So you could just rock up in a Katakun Command Barge or similar <laughs> and just nuke them with your ring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because I've not thought about that. Glorious combat. Yes, that Would is cool. cool. <laughs> um, but also, from the Sartek dynasties, you've got the requisition Dynastic Domination, which this is similar to the sort of ones for if you beat um, another Necron player, you get X thing. But this one in particular is really, like, really cool how it does it. This is two requisition points. Um, purchase this requisition after a battle that you won against an opponent that included any Necron units on their army roster. You can select one of those units and add, <laughs> an, and add an identical unit to your order of battle. This new unit must have the Sawtech keyword, but otherwise has the same equipment as the selected unit and has the same number of experience points and the same battle honors and battle scars. <laughs> Uh, if this would uh, if this would mean this unit has an ability or a relic that cannot be used by a Soltec unit, for example, you know, there's another dynasty's yeah. replace it with a new ability or relic as appropriate. As so you can't quite steal relics from other dynasties, but you would get to pick a Soltec one to replace it. Uh, and you can't use this requisition if you go over your power limit. Um, but the fact that the two requisition points, you actually get an identical unit from the opponent's roster, yeah, like absolutely. equipment, 
upgrades, battle scars, even relics. That's hilarious to me. That is an awesome requisition. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, then from the Mefret dynasty, uh, their requisition, claim to rule, one requisition point. Uh, purchase this requisition at any time. Select two Mefret noble units that have the blooded rank or above from your order of battle. Select one of these models to be the plotter and one of them to be the victim. Each unit oh, yes, I remember reading this one. Yeah, this is brilliant. Yeah. Each unit on your order of battle can only be selected to be the plotter once. The plotter gains D6 experience points and the victim gains one battle star. Because <laughs> uh, yes. it's basically they're having like an honor duel or yeah. otherwise are plotting and scheming against each other to the, you know, to the uh, benefit of one party and the detriment of the other. But the two things I love about this is that one, we've just been talking about how actually the Necro Battle Scars are not necessarily all that bad. Absolutely. So giving a Battle Scar to the victim might actually be fine. It could be something that would just encourage it more. Like I like the idea that they're having the honor duel and because he gets so badly beaten, one of them starts to go a little bit mad. Yeah. And starts to contract the destroyer virus as, yeah. as a result. Just wants to go around beating things up. <laughs> but my favourite part about this is that line where it says... Each unit on your order of battle could only be selected to be the plotter once. It doesn't say that you can't pick the same victim. Victim over and times. over again. <laughs> yeah. So you could just have one like Patsy, like your uh, scapegoat character who is just constantly getting belittled by all his uh, peers. Yeah. Who are all reaping the rewards and experience points while he just gets scarred and scarred and scarred. Yes. <laughs> I just, I just think that's hilarious. It's, it's yes. so petty of the Necrons, but that's exactly Absolutely. what I like. Yeah, it's brilliant. And yeah, I, I'd read, I'd read the line about uh, you can only be the plotter once, but I totally missed the, the victim. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely brilliant. Um, and then from the Novak Dynasty again, I'm going to mention two of these ones. We've got the requisition for the degraded sanity engrams. So again, this is one where it's sort of like that fall towards the Destroyer cult. So, uh, purchase a requisition when a Novak infantry unit from your Crusade force gains their second or subsequent battle scar. Now, Novak infantry uh, could be a character, um, but you yes. know, anything, uh, any infantry. Um, remove that unit from your order of battle and replace it with a Novak destroyer cult unit that contains either the same number of models as or fewer models than the selected unit. You can't purchase this if you go to your power level limit. The new Novok Destroyer Cult unit starts with the same number of experience points as the unit it replaced and gains the appropriate number of battle orders. But actually, the fun part about this is when you pick the non-character options. So you can turn a unit of Necron Warriors into a unit of Scorpex Destroyers. Yes. Yeah. And so on. Now, you wouldn't get 10 Scorpex because you get one unit of warriors for one unit of Scorpex. So you would turn, say, like a 10-man unit into a three-man unit. A three-man unit, because, yeah. Yeah, you know, seven of them have just absolutely fallen apart or haven't survived the degradation, but three of them have come out of it as destroyers. Or three of them became destroyers and destroyed the other seven. In a, <laughs> yeah. in, a, in a fit of rage. But yeah, the idea that, you know, again... Uh, one requisition because so the interesting thing here is that because it's after they've been their second or subsequent battle scars, 
it normally costs you one requisition point per scar to remove yes. them. So for one requisition point, you're removing two scars, but yeah. the, the payoff, and it could be two or more, you could have three or four scars, and mm. you're, you're clearing them all, but the payoff is that you're swapping it from whatever it was to be a destroyer unit. Yeah. Yeah, and again, uh, no, no rock are the hitty ones, aren't they? So yeah, they are the, the very melee focused and a yeah. little bit blood obsessed ones. Yeah, so Scorpex uh, all around then. Yeah, or uh, perhaps Ophidians. Ophidians, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but they are very much the, the blood obsessed dynasty, as uh, portrayed by their Crusade relic. <laughs> Simply uh, described yes. as the Blood Shroud. <laughs> Now, this is ridiculous, this description. This cloak contains micro-induction micro fields that drain fluids from nearby foes, <laughs> dragging them through the air and coating the bearer. So it's literally dragging the blood out of people's bodies Ugh. and like, bringing it through the air to, uh, towards the Necron to coat himself in a, a shroud of blood. Uh, and it's uh, at the start of the fight phase, roll 1d6 for each enemy unit within 3 inches of the bearer. And on a 3 plus, that unit suffers one mortal wound. It just drains the lifeblood out of people. Yeah, that's quite nice. Again, imagine how terrifying that must be to see, you know, seeing this, you know, this alien mechanical skeleton monster just, just holding his hand out and then just draining the blood through the air yep. from your victims. Yep. Absolutely horrific. It's uh, got a bit dark all of a sudden, uh, the, this podcast. Well, uh, the Necrons will do that. But <laughs> <laughs> um, then we've got the Nihilak dynasty and their battle trait in particular, the optimized repair protocols, I thought was a good one because this was, um, again, so this is while this unit is wholly within your deployment zone, each time you make a reanimation protocol roll for this unit, each dice result of a six counts as one additional successful roll. Oh, wow, that is good. Yeah. And if this unit has a living metal ability, each time an attack is allocated to a model in this unit, subtract one from the damage characteristic of that Oh, attack. that's really good. So all your characters and vehicles that could gain this trait suddenly have damage reduction one. Which, especially on your Necron vehicles of quantum shielding, Mm. having uh, basically transhuman and damage reduction would be really good. Yep. And that's not dependent on being in your deployment zone either, in the case of Living Metal. Yeah. But the being in your deployment zone and every six counting as two successes for reanimation, that's well, I mean, I mean, I can imagine that being really frustrating at the start of the game for your opponent. If you're firing against, a, I don't know, a 20-man unit of warriors and they're it's reanimating on fives. Every six is double, and we're rerolling ones. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna pick up a fair a fair amount of them again, aren't you? Yeah, you are. <laughs> I so, mean, especially again, things like lich guard and so on. Though you just need to roll a single six, and a lich guard stands back up because it counts right. as two successes. So, I mean, how do how do you think that would work with the orb? Um, so is the orb you get to you get to you get to so you activate it in your command phase and you basically uh, roll reanimation for all all the ones that have died. So I'm assuming if they did it on that unit, then it's going to be 
if they were in your deployment zone, then yeah, six is a double, so that would be bringing back a lot of, uh, well, but it would be bringing back a significant amount. Yes. uh, Yeah. Just makes that that a little bit more efficient. Yeah, they're definitely not giving up ground. Yes. And then finally, we have my favourite dynasty, the Nefrek dynasty. So these are the the golden boys, the Hmm. ones who... uh, translocate all the time so basically uh, they, they, yes. they walk into light pure energy beams yeah. in order to transport themselves around the battlefield yeah. which uh, for one thing I think the fact that they, are, they have a battle trait that um, changes their advance from being an auto 6 to an auto 9 ah uh, yes unit, the starters that's, that's pretty cool yeah so uh, I think part of their uh, dynasty trait is that they always auto advance 6s when they advance but in this case battle trait makes it nine yeah yeah so i think i think their trait is they they don't technically advance they translocate six inches and they can pass through um models and scenery can't they yeah they can move as other things are not there if i think if they translocate they can't shoot though so if they've got well that's where the relic comes in because ah. the starfire mantle and again i love this description of this, this sort of arcane you know necron technology yep this metallic mantle glows brightly with the burning energies of the stars. As the bearer translocates, they move like a burning meteor through the enemy <laughs> ranks, incinerating all in their wake. <laughs> so your Necron Lord becomes a comet, literally like flying from point A to B. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's all got a bit anime all of a sudden. Yeah, it has. Um, <laughs> But the actual in-game ability for this is that the bearer is still eligible to shoot in a turn in which it translocates. Okay, that's really good. And each time the bearer translocates, if it moves across any enemy units, roll 1d6 for each of those units. On a 5+, plus, that unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. Oh my god, that's so good. And if it, if it had the battle trait where it goes 9 inches, I mean, you could probably cross three or four units if you're in the right place yeah they're just they're flying through them as a, a, a gleaming comet of starfire <laughs> oh dear i absolutely love it yes but that yeah, is brilliant I, um i think especially if you know if you've got a particular dynasty in mind that you play definitely pick up the white dwarf for the extra rules because you get extra mileage out of that um, even in like your case, Sharpie, where you play a custom dynasty, I think yep. realistically, I'd have no problem with you picking whichever one you feel cl- most closely matches your dynasty and having access to those. Uh, I would know. imagine most people who play Crusade would would want their opponent to be able to yeah. to get the most out of their Crusade, and that absolutely, I would have absolutely no problem with with someone choosing a relic or a, thing, a battle trait from one of those. And then, and then finally, do you want to round us out with some of your choice picks from the Codex Crusade relics available to yeah, characters? So, so I'll do I'll do one of each. Um, so um, the the art, artificer relics. So um, there's an engrammatic entangler. So the core of this Necron's artificial cerebrum is maintained within the quasinium casing that is in a state of constant quantum entanglement with an exact copy stored within the vaults of the bearer's tomb world 
Should the Necrons' physical form be destroyed beyond all possibility of self-repair, their personality engram is instantly projected across the interstellar gulf and into its cerebrum backup. But basically, it's got a like a hard drive somewhere else. So <laughs> it's, got, so it's, got, access they, to, it's got access to the cloud. <laughs> essentially, yes. Yeah. So all, all, <laughs> all battle scars this unit has are removed from its crusade card. And out of action tests made for the bearer are automatically passed. Now it's funny how I know exactly where I've seen this concept played out well in modern like science fiction. Have you ever seen or watched Altered Carbon? I have, and and one of the I'm, I mean, you've made me angry now because I love that <laughs> show. I love that show, and then of all the things that Netflix choose to keep filming, that twenty-seven series of The Crown. All that rubbish. Uh, I really love that series, and they cancelled it after two series just as it was getting good. Anyway, yeah. I've had my rants. <laughs> but this is basically that, isn't it? It is, it's absolutely. It is that concept to a T, yes. Yeah, you had like your USBs, as it were, that were part yeah. had your personality in it, you know, like uh, surgically grafted into your body. And if your body yeah. died, it was fine because you just recovered your USB with yeah. your personality on it. I think it was called an engrammatic entangler, but I, I might be wrong. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, moving on. So um, the antiquity relic is called the Necro Excruciator. So this unassuming device possesses the ability to inflict such potent agonies upon the necrodermis of Catan shards that even the stunted and recursive echoes of consciousness trapped within can feel it. So motivated, Catan strive to unleash every iota of cosmic might available to them. Whether this reaction is an attempt to stop the pain or a confused gesture of outrage at the presumption of those who inflict it is debatable. So the bearer has the following ability. Uh, uh, the Necro Excruciator is an aura. While a friendly Catan shard model is within 12 inches of this model, add 1 inches to the move characteristic of the Catan shard model and add 1 to the strength, toughness and attacks model of that Catan shard. So it makes your Catans a little bit better. It's basically the Butcher's Nails, but yep. the Star Gods. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and then the legendary relic is called the Tachyon Field Phase Inducer. And this is a controversial and dangerous weapon technology. This device generates a tachyon energy field around its bearer's blade, resulting in their every blow striking faster than light and discharging tremendous destructive energy into their victims. Should the bearer be slain, the field rapidly overloads and detonates in a blinding flash of lethal power. I mean, it sounds good, doesn't it? Um, select one melee weapon the bearer is equipped with. Each time an attack made with that weapon scores a hit, that attack inflicts one mortal wound in addition to any normal damage. And when the bearer is destroyed, roll 1d6 before removing it from play. On a 2-up, it explodes, and each unit within 3 inches suffers d3 mortal wounds. <laughs> so, 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 yeah, lots of... I mean automatic mortal mortal wound in addition on every yep. hit roll on every hit roll is going to do a lot of extra damage it is on through armor and impulse and everything yeah in addition just the fact that you also explode yeah stick it on the destroyer lord would be my uh, suggestion for that one <laughs> wherever you can find the most attacks wind him up yep. and let him go 
Scorpec Lord hits on a two. Uh, yeah, four attacks. <laughs> yeah, the flensing claw two it rolls instead of one. Rerolling ones. Yeah, rerolling wounds. I think if I remember correctly. Um, and that's before you account for all the battle uh, traits you will have by the time. Absolutely. Yeah, and, the and that. And that Scorpec, that Scorpec Lord started off just as a Lord. Uh, the start <laughs> of the uh, just went just went a bit crazy. Yeah, that's just really like I, again. I think this will be a really fun sort of crusade rule set to just really see your characters develop. Yes, more than any like, I mean, yeah. As is often a good suggestion, I think for crusade, especially if you are someone who is somewhat uh, bookkeeping averse. Um, or who is intimidated by the level of bookkeeping prescribed for the Crusade. I think Necrons would be a great example of an army to run a Crusade force with where you only bother tracking the stuff for your characters. Mm, yes. Or other key units you really want to track, you know, like, say, a unit of Scorpex. Yeah. But you don't need to bother tracking it for everything because other than a, a wide selection of battle traits to choose from, your non-character stuff isn't actually really going to have a lot of complicated stuff it needs to do or be no. worth tracking if you want to. No. If you, if you wanted to, you could just take loads of Canoptic uh, swarms because they obviously don't gain any. <laughs> so yeah, then you've got like, nothing to track then. I, I do think that, you know, um, Necrons would be a good force to just track characters for if you wanted, if you wanted yeah. to try and look on trimming back on the amount of bookkeeping because I get it with Space Marine armies and so on, you probably do want to see how your Sanguinary Guard or your Blade Guard veteran, your Blade Guard veterans or even your Crusader squads. Yeah. You know, and Blood Claws and this that and the other how you kinda of do want to see how everything progresses. Necrons maybe not so bothered about your random phalanxes of Necron Warriors. Yeah. But even if you choose to forego tracking on them it's not going to detract from your general crusade experience because it's all yeah. about the characters for them. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. So yeah, maybe if you if you do want um, a more uh, not less rewarding but perhaps less simple, I say less complicated, more simple but still yeah. rewarding crusade force, maybe Necrons are one to look at. Yep. Yeah. Get yourself an Overlord. Get some Cryptex in because. If you take a crypt deck, you can take another crypt deck uh, without breaking the battalion, uh, the detachment ability. So, so uh, you could get yeah. you get loads of crypt decks in. Like I took with me to to Crucible of War, I took all four crypt decks with me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, like I say, take take your Overlord, play some games, and watch that. You know, as his uh, as his names get longer, his sanity phrase. Yeah, um, absolutely. How you end up with the, uh, you know, very egotistically insane uh, Lord Commander at the end of the Crusade. Yep. So yeah, I, I think that's probably about everything for Necrons on Crusade. And yeah, to say that they, you know, are literally one of the day one, you know, Crusade forces. Uh, I, I think this issue of White Dwarf um, has definitely breathed some life into them in terms of Crusade rules and. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think they're they're lacking at this point in time. Say, as we've sort of no. mentioned, the Necrons are probably one of the most evolved armies in ninth edition. Since, I think you've yeah. you've got a lot of choice to to create a really unique army um, 
based on all the different. I mean, you're probably going to roll on a lot of tables. Um, if, you, if you're not into tables, you might be struggling, but but you definitely can create something really unique with all the options you've got now. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So, yeah. Um, thank you, Sharpie, for coming and helping educate us about the, uh, the ways of the Necron. You're very welcome. It's been awesome. So, uh, before we disappear for tonight, then, do you have any community shout-outs or spotlights you would like to mention? Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't um, spend a lot of time looking at different, different, uh, different places, um, listening to lots of different podcasts. Maybe like like other people do. Uh, I know what I like and I stick to it. But I, but I do occasionally when I'm scrolling through Instagram, um, come across some things that I like um, and make a note of them. And and I want to shout out um, uh, somebody on Instagram that I I saw a couple of a couple of weeks ago. And that's uh, Craftworld's mistress, um, he or she is called. And the reason the reason I, um, I I kind of got drawn into it is because they've painted an absolutely beautiful hemlock wraith fighter um, that's that's basically got like a, a kind of a bird feathery scheme on it. And you know it's just one of them ones where um, you, you had to stop and have a look at it, and you and it doesn't matter how good you seem to think you're getting with your own painting, you look <laughs> at that and go, ah. Uh, some way to go before I'll be able to produce that, but it truly is is beautiful. Um, so if you get a chance to have a look at that, I would highly recommend um, you go and have a look. Craft World's Mistress. Definitely, I'll uh, I'll go check that one out myself because I say I do love seeing some of the really brilliant Craft World stuff that's out there and what you can mm. do with it when you you know really take it to that next level. So yeah, I'll definitely be checking that one out myself. Um, and then speaking of taking things to next levels and just sometimes, you know, feeling hobby shamed perhaps by the things that other people can create. <laughs> um, my shout out uh, this time around is, is actually um, TMCB Studios, also known as The Mighty Cheese Board. And um, they have gained some uh, notoriety recently because they are the ones responsible for creating the brand new Demon World terrain for Tabletop Tactics. Ah, so uh, if you follow the uh, Tabletop Tactics crew, then you will have probably seen that in the last sort of uh, couple of weeks, they um, uh, what's the word? They showcased their brand new set of Demon World terrain that they have received uh, that they had commissioned by um, TMCB Studios, and uh, yeah, it is spectacular. I mean, they themselves bothered to do a. Uh, like a showcase video just talking about and showing off the new terrain right. and they've already um, you know posted a couple of battle reports playing on it and it's brilliant i mean little things like the um one of the pieces has a mechanical eye in it like it's a crack in the earth where, oh like, yes I have, I have seen this i think i think i must have seen um a picture on beard's instagram um, yes, but yes, I think I've seen it, and it is truly amazing. Really, yeah. I mean, I mean, it definitely falls into grim dark, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the like the the centerpiece of the uh, the table is sort of like um, what I can only describe as what was previously like entombed giant demon, you know, yeah. sort of like cliff face sized, where it was sort of like a you know, a stone face and a cliff face, but actually yeah. that is falling away to reveal as an actual demon. Yeah. You know, imprisoned beneath the rock face. Um so that he's half emerging 
Um, and again, just looks spectacular. I mean, yeah. even things like the um, uh, all the like the tusks and teeth and horns and things um, have all been painted like so well. Like the quality of that like ivory effect um, on those uh, those bone pieces is brilliant. And uh, yeah, it's if, if you want to go see the actual tables then uh, or the terrain itself, then you know go check out some of the recent battle reports from Tim right. Tactics. You can see it in play, but also on Instagram, uh, the Mighty Cheese Board is uh, there over at TMCB Studios. And yeah, it's really interesting to see all the sort of stuff that they make there. They've got a bunch of different um, sort of terrain things. They've made a few things for other sort of Chaos Forces. They made a bunch of like Ash Waste stuff. Um, and they don't just do 40k stuff as well, I think they do um, sort of like um, fantasy, you know, and sort of D&D terrain sort right. of stuff as well. So, yeah, that's definitely one of my shoutouts because, you know, discovered them recently, you know, through Tabletop Tactics. And, uh, yeah, I think they're really worth a look. And uh, check them out. Cool. So, yeah, I think that is, uh, that's everything then for tonight. So... Uh, a big thank you to Shafi for coming on for the first time and joining us on the show. You're very, very welcome. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, say, I've thoroughly enjoyed having you on. So, yeah, um, you'll be definitely welcome back for any future episodes. Awesome. And uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Crucible of War later this year. Well, yep. Yeah, I'm certainly uh, hoping to be there. So unless something seriously bad happens to me, I'll be throwing <laughs> dice. <laughs> Well, I look forward to it. So, until next time, guys, this has been the Narrative Wargamer Podcast, helping you discover more ways to play 40 games.